0: 31-yard field goal attempt out of the hole of Tim Masthey. Brett Good on the snap off the left hash mark. Masthe down to one knee, arm extended. Here's the snap. The placement, the kick to the upright.
1: And it
2: is good. It is good!
3: Welcome to episode number 54 of the Sportscasters. It is December 6, 2011, in a cold and rainy Buffalo, New York, as we await our first snowfall of the 2011 winter season. My name is Steve Bennett. My co-host is Don Russ. How are you doing tonight, Don? Super. We have a great show lined up for you here as part of episode number 54. We have interviews with Luke Wynn. College basketball expert from Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. We also have Freddie Coleman, a first time guest from ESPN Radio, and Jimmy Traina returns to the podcast. He, of course, from Hot Clicks, which is part of the Extra Mustard section of SI.com couple of announcements off the top before we get into the show today just want to remind everybody that the sportscasters is on Facebook you can find us there at www.facebook.com slash sportscasters you can also find us on Twitter we are at sports underscore casters our blog is the email address the sportscasters at gmail.com and our website is www sports On our website, you could find episode number 53, which we premiered last week, which has interviews with James Andrew Miller, the author of ESPN. Those guys have all the fun. Tim Graham from the Buffalo News and Lee Jenkins from Sports Illustrated, Sports Illustrated.com, who helped us preview the NBA season. Also, one last thing to remember is that I have been blogging on ProPlayerInsiders.com every Sunday as I watch the 1 o'clock games and a little bit into the 4 o'clock games as well. So definitely check out ProPlayerInsiders.com, which is a site that's owned by the NFLPA and has a lot of great content from NFL players. All right, so we have a lot to do today. Don, anything you want to mention off the top? Nope. One thing I want to mention before we get going, Tim Graham was on the show last week, and he's become a friend of the show Someone we respect quite a bit. And Tim and the rest of the Buffalo News have had kind of a bad week with the passing of Alan Wilson, who was a beat writer for the Buffalo Bills. And he passed away at age 49 of leukemia. And I know Tim has been struggling with it and so have his colleagues at the Buffalo News. So I'd like to wish everyone at our local paper the best, especially our friend Tim Graham and uh, the family of Alan Wilson. All right, let's do three things.
0: Let's play a game. All right.
3: Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback.
0: (laughs) This is the funnest
1: night ever. (laughs)
0: Did we just become best friends? Yup. Now let's move on to other business.
4: All right, the NHL and uh, Gary Bettman don't get a lot of credit for doing things right, but I think uh, they did a good job here with the realignment that has been approved. Our boy Puck Daddy, Greg Wyshynski, does a good job uh, with all things realignment so far. He's had a fun article about the namings of the new conferences. He talks about the winners and the losers. But I think it's to look for losers. uh, I imagine there's not a lot of teams complaining about this. they they got the teams so... Teams like Detroit aren't flying to the West Coast for divisional games, and they didn't shake up too many rivalries. Uh, I know the conference that the Sabers are now in basically is their old their current division plus Florida and Tampa Bay, so it's not exactly a shakeup. I don't think Florida has many rivals that they're going to be removed from, and they did they kept uh, Pittsburgh with Philly and Pittsburgh with and Philly with the Rangers, and Pittsburgh's now with Washington. Again, uh, 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 yeah, I, th- I think they did a good. I think they did an excellent job here, and I think uh, Batman, for once, can be applauded for his efforts.
3: Yeah, I don't mind it. I'd say the one negative is that, well, there's two negatives, I guess. The first is that each conference doesn't have the same amount of teams. Right. So not everyone is going to have an equal opportunity to make the playoffs. Correct. And. There's a debate on whether or not you prefer the division-type type playoffs or the conference playoffs because the way the playoffs are going to work now is each conference is going to have a one versus four and two versus three. Right, so the conference final will only – you can't have a game of uh, – Buffalo couldn't play Florida, Boston, Montreal, Ottawa, Tampa Bay, or Toronto in the finals of the conference. Right, and Detroit and Colorado couldn't meet – Unless they met in the
4: finals. Of the conference Of, of the conference finals. Right. right. Not
3: the second last. The semifinals for the league could never be between two conference teams. Right. The word division is gone, basically. And now we have the word conference. And the playoffs are going to be handled as conference playoffs. The second negative, I suppose, is that there's a positive in it that each team plays a home-and-home. Home. But... That means that teams that used to be here twice are only here once now. So, sure, it's great that Edmonton gets to come here every year and you always get to see Roger and Nugent Hopkins, but Crosby's only going to be here once as well. Okay, right. You know, so some of the teams that have been here two years two times for the last set of years only going to be here once rangers are only going to be here once devils are only going to be here once. now how do they work the division games you either play five or six of them depending on how many teams are in your division okay because they had to that's what i was going to ask because they're different sizes yeah
4: yeah i mean i think they did a pretty good like i said i think it's mostly positive uh i guess they could have gone back to just the two conference thing which maybe purists would have liked where you just ha- you don't have any divisions or conference. You just have two conferences, and the top eight teams from each make it. I believe back in the day they had no conferences. Correct. It was all like just the top sixteen. Way they might back, have had yes. conferences, but just the top sixteen teams as far as the playoffs went made the playoffs. So mm-hmm. I think they did a pretty good job. People, were, I read one of the criticisms is that if you're in a weaker division, you might have f- uh, a fifth team in one division that is going to complain maybe about not being better than a fourth team at another conference. But, I mean, that happened for so long with the Southeast and teams like Tampa Bay that usually were rolled over come playoff time because they just were the winner by default.
3: Well, and, you know, it gets rid of uh, – or this happens in baseball. You know, with, it's not going to happen anymore because they're going to switch it. But for a long time, the AFC, or uh, the American League West only had the four teams, so it was a little easier to get in the playoffs there. Look, okay, They did the best they could. You know, it's it's hard to separate these teams. There's a lot of people they had to try to please. You know, so I think they they did the best they could. They made Nashville, Columbus, and Detroit, Eastern Conference teams or Eastern Time Zone teams used to play in the Western Conference, are going to have less travel. Right, geographically, if you
4: look, there's maps. That, like I said, check out Puck Daddy. He's got four or five articles all about. They're all pretty good, and uh. One of them shows like a highlighted map, and everything geographically makes perfect sense. I mean, with the exception of Florida and Tampa, but what else would you do with them? I guess. And
3: they did a great thing where you know a lot of the teams that Florida and Tampa is in with a lot of teams where they're snowbirds, right? You know, so maybe Tampa and Florida will draw a little bit better at home in that's the wintertime. Yeah, that's true. Time. Yeah, I didn't even you think know, of that. With all the fans from Buffalo, Boston, Montreal, and Toronto going to Florida for the that where a lot of people go down to Florida, maybe already live there. You know, so that was maybe a good solution to in- increase attendance for those teams. Yeah, I didn't the, think of you know of that. the non-traditional markets. Right. My first thing is also surrounding a Florida team, team that used to be known as the Florida Marlins. And they're now going to be the Miami Marlins, and they're making a lot of changes. They have a new ballpark that's opening up this season, and they're going to try to fill it with a competitive team. They've signed Jose Reyes to a six-year, one hundred and six year, $106 million dollar contract. They signed Heath Bell away from San Diego to be their new closer. And today, they made a 10-year offer to first baseman Albert Pujols, who would play really well there. He's a Latin American player. Obviously, there's a lot of Latin American citizens in Miami. And it'll be interesting to see if they can land the big fish in the free agent pond, so to speak. Uh, I'm a fan of a team in the NL East, although not that passionately, but I am somewhat of a Braves fan. And it doesn't, I guess throw me to think that the Marlins are going to boost their team the way that they have so far if they can get Pujols I can't think of a better 1-2-3 free agent season than signing Albert Pujols Jose Reyes and Heath Bell in the same year so it's interesting to see the Miami Marlins maneuvering and being as aggressive as they are and also in the Pujols uh, world I guess the Cubs have made an offer as well so it looks more and more like Pujols will not be back in St. Louis. And uh, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on where he ends up. Any idea why they changed the name from Florida to Miami? I think maybe because th- they're from the city of Miami. So why not? Why why wouldn't you be right. Miami? Florida didn't make any sense. Just kind of writing a mistake. Yeah, and I think that they're trying to build more regional pride from the team. And you know, get people to come out to the beautiful new stadium that they built.
4: Right. My second thing today or this week has to do with uh, two players not having the best of weeks, and that's Ndamakung Sue and Jordan Tutu. Mm. Uh Two players that have recently been suspended uh, for the same amount of games, actually, too. Sue for his stomping incident that he claimed and then later apologized, for, claimed was an accident and later apologized for. And the other one, Jordan Tutsu, who got a two-game suspension for running Ryan Miller. Sue, during his suspension, apparently got into a car accident and. The passengers with him have changed their story. It's kind of an odd story. Sue uh, was driving, after, and his car hit a tree in Portland, Oregon, on Saturday. Sue said everybody's fine. Uh, now two of the women passengers have come out and said they're not fine, that they suffered serious injuries. <laughs> uh, I could picture one of them walking around with like a neck brace on all of a sudden. <laughs> in the initial report, nobody told an officer that Sue was out of control or anything like that, and the police aren't going to reopen the case uh, but they did have to change the statements that these women gave. The amended police report now says that one person was seriously injured in the crash and that there were four people in the car, not three as had been noted on the original report. Uh, One Hmm. of the women is also saying that she was seriously hurt but Sue told the police officer she was fine and refused to get her medical attention. I don't know. I don't want to you never want to attack a quote-unquote victim, hmm. but it sounds a little fishy. It
3: sounds like they went home and everyone said, what are you, crazy? You just got in a car accident <laughs> that could be considered a reckless accident by a rich athlete? Have you ever heard of civil court? Right. You know? So I, it seems a little fishy to me, too. And it sounds like the police are treating it that way. I, I would assume that nothing comes of it,
4: but you never know. I'm sure these girls will be able to find a laundry list of lawyers that are going to be lining up
3: at their door to take this case. But, uh, Nagami yeah, and sue needs to get his act together. Cause he can be an all time great player. Yeah. He's awesome. He's, he's so dominant. A dope. And uh, that whole Lions team. I yeah. don't know if you saw much of the saints and Lions game, but they were putting on a show in terms of undiscipline. They, uh, they had, uh, again, I think it was, uh, who was doing that game? Aikman? No, uh, Collinsworth and Michael's Sunday night game.
4: Okay. One of them, I think maybe it was Collinsworth Then was really getting on them, saying, yes, he "Look, was. they weren't necessarily going to win, but I they mean, ruined the they, chance. They, they played had a to decent game yep, against they did. the Saints. I, I will talk about it later. But I got my bold prediction way wrong. I thought the Saints would roll over them, especially without Sue.
3: Now the Saints were winning twenty-four to seven at halftime, and right, kind of were lazy. I thought in the third quarter, kind of opened the door a bit, but the bottom line is the the. The Lions definitely had a chance in that game, but every time they took a step forward, they took a step back with all their personal fouls. Nate Burleson had three offensive pass interference yeah, this. I've never seen that in my life. And I thought all of them were good calls. Two of the three were probably better than one of them I thought was iffy. But, uh, you know, that Brandon Pettigrew pushed a ref. Yeah. Yeah, that was dumb, I don't know. too. That's never going to fly.
4: <laughs> and the other guy I mentioned real briefly uh, is relevant. More so because of Ryan Miller and we were Buffalo podcast, uh, but Jordan Tutu was f- suspended for two games for charging uh, Miller. Anyone who saw the game, especially Sabres fans, would be much more pleased with the reaction of this than Lucic. I am kind of in the boat though that I don't think this was as severe. Uh, I guess people, if you read internet comments, and if you do, it's almost asking to be aggravated, but. Uh, People that are in the camp that this was worse are saying that Miller was in his crease. He was where he's supposed to be. Tutu knew where he was. He has to make... Yeah, he made no effort. He has he to just make it. plowed right through him. Right, and that's what they said. They said even if... Like, he has to... Even if he doesn't see where Miller is, he has to know where he's going that fast. You know what I mean? Miller was in the crease. He was where he was supposed to be. And the argument people make against the Lucic one is Lucic doesn't expect Miller to be out there, which... I don't, I don't agree with. But, again, this was a, size, a two-game suspension.
3: And maybe an example of righting a wrong. I think that they absolutely should have suspended Lucic. Right. Uh, Lindy Roth made a comment that it's open season now and our goaltenders, he's been right. Yep. Uh, Enroth was run in a Canadiens game. And I saw that Fleury was run the other night. Uh, From what it sounds
4: like, it sounds like, other teams agreed with Lindy Ruff. Lindy Ruff has a reputation of a whiner, I would say, across the league to some degree. But it sounds like other owners and other GMs and other coaches agreed with Lindy after the Lucic thing. That if you're going to be
3: able to get away with running the goaltender, people are going to do it.
4: Right. You have to step in and make a statement there. That said, I'm not sure two games does anything. I don't. I mean, two that was his first game off a of suspension,
3: and he ran the goalies, so... Now it's better than none, and maybe uh, they right. slow it down a little it bit. Is, it is better than nothing. You're but messing with his money, right? I mean, it's it, players get paid a lot to play a game. Yeah, two games gone. It's interesting. It's better I, than nothing.
4: I, uh, on a selfish fan level, I appreciate when, like, interconference games like Sabres Nashville, where there's no rivalry at all. I appreciate when somebody does
3: something a little bit dirty because it makes the game more exciting. It was a good game. Yep. All right. Since last week, college football has wrapped up its regular season, and the list of bowl matchups has been released. Obviously, the big game, the BCS National Championship game, LSU will play Alabama, which was really silly to me. LSU's already beat Alabama on the road, but they have to beat them again to prove that they're national champions on a neutral field. That seems ridiculous to me, especially when there's a very qualified team in Oklahoma State. 11-1 11-1 and one that they haven't played yet, but we won't get to see that matchup. Stanford was 11-1. and one. They don't get a chance to play. Uh, I think Virginia Tech was 11-2, and two, so you wouldn't count them. But there was definitely two other options at 11-1. and one. one good thing about this year's bowl setup is that the other two 11-1 teams will get a chance to play each other. So this would be a, a perfect year for a plus-one. Unfortunately, we don't have that either. So we're going to have to settle for LSU or Alabama being the national champion, LSU and Stanford just basically playing an exhibition game against each other on January 2nd. Don, do any of these other bowl games interest you? Can I interest you in the Rose, Oregon versus Wisconsin? Not a bad game. No. I mean, earlier in the year we were talking about how Wisconsin was going to be the, one of the teams that should have walked to an undefeated uh, two, record. Two uh, out, two 11 and two teams. And uh, – I watched the Big Ten Championship game that, was, that Wisconsin won the other night. It was very exciting. I think they so. were ranked as
4: high as, I think, four at one point. Yeah, so that
3: game's not bad. Right. Uh, how about the Cotton? Arkansas, Kansas State? Nah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Outback? Michigan State versus Georgia? <laughs> nah. No. Uh, how about the Holiday? 7-5 and five Cal versus 7-5 Texas? Ooh. I get to watch the Insight Bowl on December 30th. Oklahoma versus Iowa. Nice. Uh, The Pinstripe Bowl. (laughs) Rutgers versus Iowa State. I feel like you could be making some of these up, and I wouldn't know. (laughs) The Armed Forces Bowl. BYU versus Tulsa. Oh, good. How about the Sun Bowl? Georgia Tech versus Utah. I don't think you've mentioned it yet. Where does Boise State end? Where did they end up? Oh, Boise State. They got just demolished. TCU might have got it the worst. They went from just missing out on the BCS to playing Louisiana Tech on December 21st in a point-settable. Wow. Louisiana uh, Tech. Boise huh? State is in the Ma- Maco Las Vegas Bowl on December 22nd against 6-6 and Arizona State. Wow. It's an 11-1 and team that missed going undefeated and probably being in the national championship by this much on a field goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the probably Bowl game that I'm looking forward to the most is January seventh, the BBVA Compass Bowl. It's this week. is after the National Championship game. No, the National Championship game is on the ninth. Oh, I think it's the second. No, not, I said the seventh. Seventh. National okay. Championship game is the ninth. SMU seven and five versus Pittsburgh, six and six. Ooh. Yep. The Beef O'Bradies. FIU versus Marshall. <laughs> How about the Hawaii Bowl, Southern Miss versus Nevada? How does Hawaii not make it to the Hawaii Bowl? There might not be bowl eligible. I guess. I don't know that I've seen them here. Toledo versus Air Force? There you go. Why are they playing all these games? Who knows? If you're a student at NC State, are you excited to play, not get to go home for Christmas because you have to play on December 27th, the Belk Bowl? And if the BCS really wants to argue that, the reason there's not a playoffs is because they
4: want these kids to get back to school. Why don't you allow the six and six teams and just say, Hey, maybe next year, you know what I mean? Right. Like, it to maybe get down to 10 bowls. I mean, I know obviously why they don't do that because they have sponsorships on all these bowls and there's a ton of money to be made for having all these extra games and TV money and whatever. But, uh, somebody on Reddit made a nice little chart here that says, I'm excited, oh, wait, this isn't going to happen, and you just bracketed the playoffs is what they could have been. He had LSU, Kansas State, Stanford, Oregon, Oklahoma State, Arkansas, and Alabama, Boise State playing in a bracketed thing that why not? not want to see that? Right. Absolutely, why not? Oh, boy. They get that wrong every year. Yep. All right, my third thing, uh, Tiger Woods, who we've ripped on in the past, called him done. Apparently depending on how much you take stock in the Chevron world challenge is not done. He won his first event in more than two years. And, uh, to be honest, he he only beat 18 golfers.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I don't watch golf in the winter, right? Nobody does. Um, look at in the long run, golf is better if Tiger Woods is good. So any positive signs that he's recovering, and could be good again, is good for golf. This is not a PGA
4: event, by the way. Uh, he did take home like a million dollars, I think, so that that's he not needed bad. It. He needed it.
3: <laughs> oh, it's good to know. And uh, funny, uh, Yeah,
4: he beat out 17 golfers, so
3: good uh, for Tiger, I it's guess. It's not a lot, but it's something. Yeah, and I guess it's a step in the right direction for him. Yeah, it wouldn't have been good to lose it. Right? No, no, and not uh, at all. Who are some of the other golfers? You don't have that in front of you, do you? Um, I had the score sheet. It'll take me a second to find it, though. Because I'm just wondering if there's another name that we can get excited that he was able to beat. I know out.
4: Jason Day was on there. Okay. Um I gotta find the, the score sheet again.
3: Ah, don't worry about it. Alright, but Whatever. yeah, it
4: wasn't he wasn't exactly beating Phil Mickelson and right the likes of them. But Tiger, welcome back to the uh win column, I suppose. Alright,
3: my last thing for today is that yesterday Sports Illustrated named their Sportsman of the Year. They actually selected two uh, Pat Summit, female basketball coach for Tennessee, and Coach Kay, the male basketball coach for Duke. Uh, the two Hall of Famers are the winning, winningest coaches in women's and men's basketball. Uh, obviously, we've mentioned on the podcast before that Summit announced in August that she's been diagnosed with early onset dementia. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is very sad, but she plans to keep coaching as long as she can. Uh, As for Coach K, he passed his mentor Bob Knight on November 15th with his 903rd game. Um, Times, Inc. sports group editor Terry McDonald lauded Summit and K as transcendent figures. I guess the other name that you think of as potential winners of this award is Aaron Rodgers. But, you know, Drew Brees won last year, so you're just going to have the winning quarterback win this award every year? (laughs) Yeah. Probably not. So I have no problem with it. Congratulations to Pat Summit and Coach K. The magazine comes out today and should be in your mailbox in the next couple days and uh, should be an interesting story. One other thing from the Sports Illustrated I read about is that they did a report. They took the 1986 Bengals and got an update from every single player. To judge whether NFL players are really as
4: disenfranchised, kind right? Of?
3: Yeah. As so, it'll be interesting to get an update on every player from an NFL team, from one NFL team. Hmm. And it seems like in a, a pretty interesting report. I know Peter King headed it and had some interns help him and things like that. So that should be another interesting thing. Real
4: quick, too, uh, I wanted to mention kind of a to steal from old Sports Center the Did You Know section. Do you know there's uh, – I saw in the Wall Street Journal, there's a real interesting article you could search for. The NFL has footage they call the All-22 footage, and they won't release it to the public. Oh. It's the footage that you see like on the NFL Network when you'll have like a guy breaking down right, a play. Right. It's the
3: coach's film, basically.
4: Right. They they don't release that to the public for it's some reason. It's where you can view all, all 22, 22 players, players on the yep, it's the why. It's like the ones, I think the cameras are on top of the goalpost or somewhere really high in the stadium. But you can see the whole field, and uh, they said it would open coach or players to a little more criticism. Uh, they s- suggested in this article that uh, Daryl Johnston uh, criticized a Tampa Bay Buccaneers safety, saying he was a little late to get to a play. But then they said if you look at the All-22 footage, that comment would have been totally wrong. He was where he was supposed to be on the field because it was overloaded or whatever. But it's I found the article interesting. I didn't know that they –
3: Withheld this film You know what's interesting about him making that mistake Is the reason that Networks don't just save a bunch of money And have these guys watch the game on TV While they call it Is basically so they can get the (laughs) all-22 view Right from the stadium You know what I mean? From the stadium And I know whenever I've been to a game You get a very different perspective A good example of that is In 2006 I went to the opening day game Between the Saints and the Browns And the very first play from scrimmage braylon edwards caught a long touchdown pass that was called back from holding i saw the holding okay you know i happened to be watching will smith come around the end get hooked saw the flag come down looked up everyone in the stadium stood up edwards cut the ball everyone went nuts i knew it was holding right away right you know so you can pick up on things like that from seeing that film i would i don't know if i've ever would have saw that holding at home Right, Greg
4: Cosell, the guy that produces uh, NFL matchup on ESPN, is one of the people that does have access to all the footage. Said uh, Lynch, the safe wasn't safety wasn't late getting there. Uh, and they, they said they tried to contact Daryl Johnson; he couldn't be reached. You so want to talk about it, huh? I guess not. But it's yeah. from Lewiston, New York. It's very interesting. Uh, I guess e- NFL recently put a a poll on their website as to whether or not people would want to see, uh, would pay $100 a year for an online feed of all 22, and it was almost overwhelmingly yes, and the NFL said that uh, it's not something we're even thinking about doing really right now. It's a long <laughs> way from... Re- it's just a very strange thing that they keep that. I, I mean, t- coaches and players get criticized in the media em- is enough as it is. I don't understand why they don't want that information out there, especially like in this Madden age when everyone knows kind of like play calls at least to some extent.
3: All right, let's do this. We'll be right back with Luke Wynn. Our next guest was born and raised in the state of Wisconsin and is a graduate of the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern. Today, living in Brooklyn, he is one of the most unique and visual sports writers in the country. He is a full-time college basketball writer for Sports Illustrated and Sports com, And his Power Rankings column for the website is one of the most unique Power Rankings columns on the internet. He also has a very popular blog during the NCAA tournament and is making his third appearance on the Sportscasters. A warm welcome to the very talented Luke Quinn. How's it going, Luke? I'm
5: doing well. Thanks for having me back on.
3: Yeah, we've been, uh, we haven't talked to you since, really, since the college, the NCAA basketball tournament started last March. And, um, I guess having you back on is just simply a signal that the college basketball season is, is back and it's in full swing. We've been kind of trying to work around schedules and get you on to kind of preview the season a little bit for our listeners. But, you know, I think, I think the best place to start is I have the, uh, sports illustrated college basketball preview in my hand and it's a couple issues old now but if you read the magazine on the ipad or something like that it's still uh you know available in the library there and um it's still a very relevant i think magazine at this point my question is when you do something like this and and you have to come up with a preseason top 20 how hard is that And, and what what kind of things do you focus on is it like returning starters is it recruits is it a a Combination of that. How do you come up with uh, a preseason rankings that you think is fair and representative of what the college basketball season is going to be?
5: First of all, for the magazine, we do a vote amongst all the writers who contribute to college basketball, um, also the college basketball editor. So it's kind of the magazine's rankings are kind of a collaboration of, I think f- this year it was five people. Um, for me personally, it's you know, it's it's part of. There's certainly some just eye test stuff. I mean, of of you know, it just it just felt like North Carolina was. You know, I know some people debated that Kentucky. You know, Kentucky had a lot of maybe unknown parts in that. How good were their freshman? Year, but it felt like Carolina was the right pick for number one at the time, just with the volume of talent they have. Um, I mean, I'm obviously a huge you know advanced stats um, user and and you know someone who kind of constantly references those things in articles. So. I guess I'm big at kind of looking at I think there are certain teams that are going to be good at things like, you know, at defense every year just because they're coaches and maybe, in, you know, the, if they have the right personnel and that you can kind of bank on um, you know, a team like Ohio State or, you know, or Syracuse or, you know, Wisconsin. Duke will be always a I don't know. I just feel like you can consistently bank on those teams being, you know, strong defenders as long as they have decent personnel, and, and you can kind of add those things up. I mean, for me, it's a. Uh, I don't have a specific formula. Um, I I think that knowing, you know, having, you know, I feel like you know, a team like Ohio State, you know, they have a reliable player like Jared Solinger who's not going to drop off very very hard, and that, and that he's going to be the centerpiece of an offense, and you can kind of look at how, you know, certain people will grow. I mean, you know, if you look back at the top twenty now, even though you know, we're only, what is it, you know, it's the first week of December. Clearly there are some misses in there. I mean, we have, we had UCLA in the top 20 and, and Reeve Nelson was on one of our regional covers and he's pretty, you know, he's been suspended two times. Right. And UCLA, UCLA is in a tank and, you know, clearly you'd love to have that something like that back. Um, but there are other ones that, you know, you feel good about. I mean, you know, I feel good about most of it when I look back <laughs> I look at it. I'm kind of laughing at that UCLA. But that was more like SI will kind of do things where with these regional covers where we kind of try to fit a you know cover there'll be a cover for each printing region and right. at the west coast this year when you think about it you know, there just wasn't an obvious team, um, you know, you didn't have, you know, Washington was pretty good, but they're not, that's certainly not one of the, you know, the best teams they've had there, and UCLA was kind of was kind of a risk, and there wasn't, you know, Cal was coming up, but they weren't a sure thing, and there wasn't, a, you know, there's not like a Jimmer, you know, at BYU this time, um, it just wasn't, there wasn't an obvious pick, and so we went with someone, and Probably wasn't the right one in that sense. <laughs> Otherwise, though, I mean, we do have, you know, North Carolina on cover. We do have, you know, we, we did all right with the rest of it.
3: Right. I got UConn in, yes. my, in my mailbox. Jeremy Lamb is on my cover. And he, you know,
5: he's been a, I think Jeremy, you know, I, saw, I went to Latvia this summer and saw the USA basketball under-19 team. And, you know, Jeremy was a guy that, I mean, a lot of people saw him growing during the NCAA tournament and, you know, figured he'd be good. But, I mean, I got to see him be the, Focal point of an offense, um, you know, a few month, you know, months before the season, you know, it, there weren't a lot of people watching those games, but you could really see, hey, you know, this kid is is capable of being the, you know, the scoring leader of a team, and he can definitely handle it. And so I, I felt like that was a decent projection, and he he has looked good. I mean, UConn has more weapons than him, but I do think maybe when it gets down to it, you know, in some of their bigger Big East games, when they need someone to score, that he's going to be the guy who does it.
3: You, uh, you guys did a pretty. You mentioned defense earlier, and you guys did a really interesting kind of cover story, I suppose, uh, in the preview issue where you did a possession by possession study of five title contenders, and you graded every player and every play, and came to some surprising conclusions, as it says in the article here. What kind of pro- what kind of undertaking was that, and how satisfying was it, and the results was it what you expected different than what you expected or a combination of both
5: i'd say it's a combination i mean the undertaking was just felt like we had the t- you know we have time in the off season to try to do something ambitious and you know i've always been into these kind of larger deep dive studies and i thought that this would be something that would be a way to i mean it's just it to me it was like the great defense was not that we don't know anything about it but it's the last great unknown in college basketball on an individual level and so i thought there'd be a lot of value in it even if we, even if it just ended up reinforcing things we already know i mean there's some things that we that just ended up reinforcing things like aaron craft i mean everyone had already loved him for his defense i think we kind of put a number on it and said you know you may just look at these steals he's creating but he's creating almost double that turnover wise per game and you need to value him accordingly or that you know then there were some surprising things just that Maybe, you know, that Chris Singleton was regarded on Florida State as this incredible defensive stopper. He was a first-round pick. But they had another guy, Bernard James, who wasn't talked about as much. I mean, he was talked about because he was a very good story, you know, this that he had been, you know, in the armed forces, a veteran who had started school much later. But he was really, to us, he was their most valuable defender. I mean, no one could score over him. He was, you know, he, people shot under, you know, under 30% against him. He was amazing. And And with North Carolina, you know, they had a similar guy like that, John Henson, who – blocked a lot of shots but we you know we determined that tyler zeller who didn't have that great of box score stats next to him was you know he was also very valuable and it was good so the, the, it identified a few players who maybe weren't obviously defensively valuable who you know end up looking great um and, you know we didn't to go back to yukon you know we looked at how um you know that's been one of the mysteries of the early season alex oriaki was great during the NCAA tournament. I mean, he was he was probably David Hess, who worked with me on this project. David Hess, who uh, he works for TeamRankings.com, and and also does a blog called Audacity of Hoops. he, he studied UConn. Uh, we we divided the five teams. He had UConn and Florida State. Um, he he studied UConn, and, and you know his charting of UConn's tournament you know alex oriaki is especially in the title game is amazing he doesn't mm. give up he gives up a half a basket and you know defends nine shots it's a it's one of the better defensive points we saw in the entire study and yet something's not clicking for him this year i mean i didn't anticipate it at all he's i thought he would be he would take off and become you know a well-regarded star in college basketball but, you know after this springboard performance and he seems to not be um Clicking well in the lineup with Andre Drummond, or he's lost confidence. Uh, Jim Calhoun has alluded to that, and that's kind of one of those things. I mean, you just—that's the thing with college basketball. I mean, I I feel like more so than the NBA, you don't always can't always grasp what young kids or how young kids are going to react to every situation. So, as as good as you are about projecting, you know, rankings, you just you can't anticipate something like that's going to happen. You know, and that's what's happening with UConn right now, and that's what's maybe holding them back from being one of those top four teams in the country and you know instead of you know kind of being a i think there's a big gap right now between syracuse and them in the big east
3: you mentioned with the rankings that you know ucla was maybe a team that you'd like to have back you know about four or five weeks into the season here is there a team that you wish you would have taken the time to include in the study um you know like hmm. is there a team where you're like man they would have been really interesting i'm surprised we didn't you know look into them yeah I, I mean
5: one team that I would have one team that we talked about uh, you know studying but we didn't because of the coaching change was Missouri um, and we you know because they had because they had you know we weren't sure what is you know they played under Mike Anderson and they played this very fast style of pressing and all that kind of stuff and you know we, we were David and I had both I guess you know we said you know we're curious about who who really is you know the good defenders on that team but but because of the stylistic change um, we passed on doing them just because it may not ha- it might not have been worth the you know I guess worth the while if they were playing a totally different style. But they've I mean they've come out to me been they're great on offense, but they're also still a top I think they're a top twenty five defensive team right now too. If you look at efficiency and I guess it would have been I think it would have been worthwhile to learn who um, was excellent on that team. Um, I also I also might have been interested in studying. Um, the Two others. I mean, Louisville. I was interested in studying, and we, and we didn't. Um, I, I was curious to see how well they could absorb the loss of Preston Knowles and Terrence Jennings, because Preston was regarded as an excellent on-ball defender. Um, I, I wasn't sure if they were going to drop off, um, and you know, Terrence Jennings was a good shot blocker. But really, they're a, they're. I mean, they're they're playing shorthanded, and they're still number three in the country in defense right now. So that that might have been a team. And I also would have liked to look at. Uh, Baylor's zone and see you know what you know what are they I mean, not their all zone but you know see who was strong in, in that defense because we did I mean we did study some zone Vanderbilt was probably playing 30% zone in that study and I, felt, I still felt like the way we were charting games we could still we were still able to look at credit and blame within a zone system as long as you watched enough tape and started to realize the responsibilities of players and, you know could understand where the defense broke down in certain plays
3: Sportscasters are here with Luke Wynn. We're excited to have him back after a long college basketball offseason. We're into the season a little bit. Uh, just as far as Luke, you can follow him on Twitter, at Luke Wynn. Don't forget that. Uh, I'm interested to kind of get into it here now a little bit in terms of what we've seen on the court so far. Uh, Kentucky and Ohio State are the two teams who in this week's AP poll got first place votes. I think Syracuse also got a vote in the coaches poll. Are those two? Let's let's throw Syracuse into it. All three of those teams are three and zero. Are those teams kind of establishing themselves as kind of the class of the uh, of the NCAA Division one right now? And who? What other teams can kind of, as the season goes on, push themselves into that upper echelon and ch- challenge for a number one seed in the NCAA tournament?
5: I mean, I really think that. If if you were creating a tier system right now, I mean, I think I would just also include North Carolina in that tier. I know they have two losses, and you know and the, the other three teams are undefeated, but I don't think that Carolina's you know losing by losing at Kentucky by a very small margin right. on the road it's, it should be in any way you know it's one point, one one shot, one block shot. Uh, you know, should be damning to them. I th- I, f- I feel like I I group those four teams together as the teams that to me, you know, Carolina. I guess it's a little. You're, you're part of you're putting a little bit of faith into it because they only have, you know, they have a qual they have a quality win. You know, they have a quality win over Michigan State and Wisconsin. I think those teams are decent enough, but they have you know you have to overlook a couple losses. I still think that it's that four, and then and then you move down into the next tier that includes teams like Duke, teams like Florida. Uh, Louisville maybe some of the other ones the surprise teams like Missouri I think has looked really good Um, you know and maybe maybe Marquette maybe Wisconsin uh, you know potentially a team like Alabama if their offense is a little bit stronger Um, so that's what that's what I would say and then and then you know if you're if you're talking about the teams that have snuck up and look like outsider you know final four teams or, or not outsider final four teams but teams that Need to be taken seriously that we didn't in the in the preseason. I think that um, I mean one of them is Georgetown. I didn't I didn't expect them to do much, if right. anything, this year. And they you know they, they went to Alabama and won. They beat Memphis and Maui. Played Kansas within four points. I mean they look like a team that is going to you know it's probably going to make the NCAA if they keep up this level of play. They're going to make the NCAA tournament of the Big East easily. Um, and Indiana I thought was a team that it wasn't going to be good until next year i thought and and cody zeller is way ahead of schedule and i thought if you looked at the progression of the zeller brothers i know he was the highest rated recruit of them but he he's way ahead of where his brothers were as freshmen and and he's one of the more productive players in the country and, and you know they've been a big surprise to me um so, so those two not that they're Anywhere near, you know, Final Four team. But I just meant that teams that need to be taken seriously, you know, I'd add them into it. when I I definitely kind of missed on those two.
3: Right. right Uh, It seems like we're talking about a lot of teams who are in power conferences. And every year, it seems like, especially in the NCAA tournament, there are some teams from the so-called mid-majors that make strong runs. Some even to the national championship game, like Butler. Uh, who are some teams from the kind of smaller conferences that we need to take a serious look at as the season gets going? I know Creighton is 7-0 and 19 in the poll. Probably they're one of those teams. Gonzaga is always in that mix. But who are some of these teams that we need to really consider from the smaller conferences?
5: Sure. I, to, to, you, know, you mentioned Creighton, which is a good one. I mean, Doug McDermott was also on that team this summer. with Jeremy Lamb. And, I, you know, and, he's, and he's, he seems to have taken off to this level of, you know, he went from, Surprisingly good freshman, you know, just within in the context of his own conference, to being kind of his numbers stack up against anyone in the country. I mean, he's you almost have to put him in all America consideration at this point with an undefeated team and you know the way he's playing. Uh, so Creighton is legit. They're they're interesting in that from some of the you know advanced stat stuff. You know, they're undefeated. They have some nice wins, but their defense is you know on. On Pomeroy's side, it looks terrible. I think it ranks. If we look now; it's one hundred and eighty eighth. Uh So it's uh, as good as they're they're undefeated. But you look at that defense, and you wonder: Are they suspect? And is you know even though. A team like Wichita State has a couple losses already. Is is, is Wichita State actually the the best team in the you know, in the Missouri Valley? And I think you may find out that that's that that's true. That you know, even though Creighton is getting the votes right now, that Wichita State, which had a nice win over UNLV, you know, usually, and, and kind of has a really good veteran team. Um, you know, they weren't. They weren't in the NCA's last year. They were, you know, but they had a really strong NIT. You know, they they win the NIT. They're, uh, you know, they're it's a, it's a really strong team. I, mean, I like that team a lot. It's, you know, it's one of the one of the most experienced uh, one of the most experienced starting fives in the country. Um, you know, you've got also I think they have five seniors in their rotation plus two juniors, uh, or two or three juniors, and so they to me have like the perfect kind of. Uh, you know, formula for being, uh, you know, a potentially deep tournament team, um, you know, we've seen Belmont doesn't have, they, they've missed out on getting that big, you know, program-defining win so far, but they lost at Duke, and then they, I think, went to Memphis 40s later and didn't play that well there, but I still think that's a team that's going to be back in the tournament, and, and may, they get a better matchup this time, and you know, they got, you know, they got matched up with Wisconsin in the last tournament, and it was just a Terrible matchup by getting a, a really good a team that controlled the ball well and didn't run with them. But uh still think they're dangerous, um, you know, and possibly even better than they were last year. Um, so that would be another one. And, and Iona is hard to ignore. I mean, so they're not they're not incredible defensively, but I think that they're they're talent level, I mean, their, their backcourt, you know, Scott Machado has been, you know, arguably one of the best, the best passing point guards in the country so far, and it's a good scorer. Uh, Momo Jones has proven himself in the NCAA tournament. Michael Glover is, you know, a legitimate inside player, for that, especially for that league. Um, that's the other one that you almost think that if you could, you could drop that team into a major conference and they would have no trouble, you know, I still think they could make the NCAA tournament.
3: It's interesting that you mentioned Iona because they're in a conference where uh, a couple of the local college basketball teams here in Buffalo compete. Niagara University is one and Canisius is another. And it seems like that conference always, no matter who the champion is, ends up as like a 15 seed. Are we talking about Iona being a team that could potentially, you know, be a 12 seed out of that league? Or what's their kind of ceiling?
5: I think that the, with the schedule they've played, I mean, with the schedule they played, they had, you know, they have, they had the, you know, non-conference game against Purdue. They, I think, they play Richmond, uh, Vermont. I mean, you know, we're not talking. They play Marshall. They have those aren't blockbuster teams, but I think those are, you know, those are some quality opponents, and I don't think they're playing a, a terrible schedule. I think that they could be, you know. I don't think it's out of the question for them to be a thirteen, even a twelve. You know, even look at being a twelve if they had a big, I th- if they make a huge run through that conference and they put together, you know, let's say they win twenty five or twenty eight games, uh, th- then you, they can get much higher than that. I think they can be they could be a thirteen or twelve.
3: Since we mentioned it, I mean, we have something in Buffalo here called the Big Four. Um, <laughs> I don't know that it means much, but uh, Niagara, Canisius, UB, and Saint Bonaventure. Are any of those teams? Potential NCAA tournament teams. I mean, I don't know much about them, so I I can't assume that you do. But uh, you know, do any of those teams jump out as being potential competitors in their conferences?
5: Well, I mean, I I don't think that that's. that's I, I'm going to say no. Okay. Um, I I think that
3: that's usually the answer.
5: Well, although although I don't know. I mean, I guess the one the one team that I they're not. I don't think there's the strongest team in the MAC, but I think Buffalo is the one just because. I mean, Jamon McRae is you know he doesn't he's not that well known nationally but i i think he's one of the best, you know, kind of break. He, I had him as a breakout sophomore and call him, you know, this offseason and he's he's got to be one. He may be the one of the best players in the MAC. Uh, he's a name that you know people don't know about. He's kind of an undersized power forward who um, has put up really good rebounding numbers, dominates their offense, pretty efficient scorer. So if one of those is going to sneak through, it's going to be Buffalo. Um, and I think that, that they have a decent chance. I mean, the Macs there isn't kind of a runaway great team in the MAC this year. It's I think it's Kent State right now if you're looking at it, but uh, but and Ohio has a shot but Buffalo probably has a good chance as anyone so th- that's the team i would pick
3: do you think that you know UB is a team that's worth a trip to Alumni Arena i think that's what they call their their gym you know if, if you were here in buffalo would you would you go spend a well, bucks I mean, to see them i gym would be
5: play? just to, to be honest with you i, I, have to, I almost have to pair that if you're covering the sport on a national level i mean there's some stories certainly you'll drop you do but your filter kind of has to keep You know, kind of has to be maybe a little smaller. It doesn't have to be restricted to only major conference teams, certainly. But you know, you probably have to maybe you may have to kind of filter it down to the top fifty where you're really focusing on. Otherwise, you know, it's impossible. It's impossible to chase three hundred and teams. You know, just being realistic. But I would go. I mean, I think it's worth checking. I mean, I think that. Even scouts would be interested in checking out McCray, just saying, you know, who is this guy? Is he worth, you know, is he, is he worth a look? I mean, his his numbers are good enough to, to be worth, you know, taking a look at.
3: Well, you mentioned McCray. Let's let's talk about players for a second. Last year, you know, everyone knew Jimmer, right? Like that was the name that you could pretty much ask any casual sports fan, and they'd tell you about him. Is there a player in college basketball this year that? you know, that by tournament time we're all going to be talking about, that we're all going to want to watch this player play. I mean, I know Austin Rivers has gotten some rev- some rave reviews. Um, supposedly, you know, he's got an unbelievable crossover dribble and really exciting player to watch. Who are some players in the country that, you know, we should make a point to check out?
5: Rivers isn't, you know, he like you said, the crossover is amazing. His, his offensive skill set is is great, but he doesn't have it. <laughs> you know all together yet I mean that's part of the thing I mean, you can see him coach K, hey, hey kind of you know he'll get he'll get benched for stretches you know he'll get he, he, he's not all the he's not all the way as a, there as a star I don't think there's a a kind of crazy scoring star in the same way that Jimmer and Kemba um, were and kind of a major level I mean you have a guy I mean uh, Damian Lillard at what we were at Weber State is leading the country in scoring but that's it's very much off the ray off the radar um McDermott's up there, but I think it is going to come down to guys like Harrison Barnes and Jared Zollinger, Um, and, and to me one of the most exciting guys to watch so far hasn't really been a guy who scores a ton. It's Anthony Davis at Kentucky just because he's making plays that are just amazing. I mean, you don't I, I was amazed by the, some of the blocks when we were doing that defensive study that John Henson made last year. But Anthony Davis is doing is going even beyond that. I mean, his you're talking about a six you know six ten six eleven guy with a massive wingspan and also kind of this guard like athleticism because range is longer and the kind of shots he's getting his hands on. It's it's to me it's it's it's, it's getting almost as exciting to watch Anthony Davis play defense um, as it was to watch Jimmer score sometimes. And so that maybe you're going to find joy in some other parts of the game
3: this year. You know, uh, every, every once in a while we have a freshman class that we just know that there's so many one-and-done players in it. Like, I remember a few years ago there was, like, Michael Beasley and I can't remember uh, – uh, who else was in that class with Beasley? Uh,
5: uh, like, O.J. Mayo was in that Mayo, same class. Yeah. You had, it, I mean, it was, a, yeah, you've had some very stacked.
3: Yeah. Is, is this that kind of year? Is there a bunch of one-and-done players? Or is this a year where you can, as a fan, get kind of – Get really get to know your freshmen and count on them being on the team for at least two seasons or more. Well,
5: I don't think because of the volume of sophomores who you know who who came back the draft. This draft is going to be incredibly strong, and I think that maybe a few of the freshmen, um, some of those one to done freshmen, might might think about you know waiting back a year, waiting back a year. But but I do think that you know the big, the biggest. It's it's likely that the top two picks in the next draft are going to be one and done freshmen, which would be Anthony Davis. I think I would be shocked if he doesn't go number one. You know, number two is way more up for grabs. I mean, you've got guys like Harrison Barnes or Sullinger, or Perry Jones, you know, sophomores who are in the running for that pick. But Andre Drummond at UConn, I think people are. People know that he's only starting to reach his potential. I mean, he had to play the first few games and wearing a mask, and he's you know still getting used to college basketball because he he made kind of a late decision to even start college uh, this year. So you have Drummond, you have I mean Quincy Miller at Baylor. I'd be surprised if he stays for more than a year. Brad Beal at Florida probably is probably going to jump after this year. Um, if you want to look at a few guys who may wait to break out until they're sophomores, I mean, if you look on Carolina's bench. Uh, James McAdoo is. You know, he's he's a super sub. He's a, probably one of the best, highest quality subs anywhere in college basketball. Um, but you, I don't know if he's going to jump right away. I mean, scouts already like him, but he could wait a year. When Henson and Zeller leave, then he becomes the you know yeah. centerpiece of right. Carolina's front court if he wants to be. Um, we'll see.
3: You mentioned Baylor. I mean, what a year for Baylor sports! They get their first win over Oklahoma. Uh, they have a potential Heisman Trophy candidate, an RG three. Uh, the basketball program, though, is a whole different story. I mean, it just seems like yesterday that there was a scandal brewing there where one of their players killed another one of their players, and here they are a few years later, ranked in the top ten right now, 7-0. and Is this the best team in the Big 12, and what's their ceiling?
5: Um, they're. I, w- I, w- I guess I wouldn't go as far to guarantee they're the best team in the Big 12 yet because I still... I still like Kansas a lot. I mean I know they're not a very deep team, but I still think they have the better I, I still think, you know, Thomas Robinson to me my favorite player in the in the Big 12 just because of his insane productivity <laughs> in the front court and you know the guards are enigmatic, you know, you don't know if Tyshawn Taylor is going to have, you know, a 10 turnover game like he did earlier this year or if he's going to play excellent, but you have you have a pretty good veteran backcourt there, an uh, underrated center in Jeff withy so Kansas and Baylor are gonna battle for it. But I think we've seen since Perry Jones is, you know, off of his NCAA mandated suspension that Baylor has been pretty amazing in those two games, albeit, you know, it was against what, Prairie View and then a northwestern team that was completely overmatched in, in the front court. But uh but they started to look very good once Perry's back. And if he's if he's ready to take that next step, because he wasn't as a really highly rated freshman, he did not take over games, he did not Put up dominant numbers, um, and that was the knock on him. You know, is this guy, and, and he's kind of his draft stock has dropped down a little bit because of that. So, I mean, if he comes out on fire and, and, and becomes the dominant player that people want him to be, then then that's how Baylor separates itself and, t- and takes that next step. Um, in addition, that you know, they're the, the one thing is I guess they've had trouble, you know, they've had trouble with turnovers in their backcourt, and so it's you know, it's on Pierre Jackson to kind of just keep progressing as a point guard and becoming um, a guy who can get the ball to Quincy Miller and get the ball, you know, to Perry Jones rather than, you know, making risky plays um, because he, he needs to cut down on that a little bit too. And that's the other thing I don't think they could be a final four team turning the ball over at the rate they are so far.
3: Sportscasters are here with Luke Wynn from sports illustrated, sports com. Just a couple more minutes left. Uh, You can follow Luke at Luke Wynn on Twitter and don't forget to check out his Uber awesome power rankings column each week, which Apparently you do all the web design for that yourself, right? All the interesting Oh yes, charts I've been, and,
5: I do I do the Photoshop work. I yeah. I can't burden a designer with the last minute random, you know, finding a odometer for the <laughs> aircraft turnometer. so I just <laughs> I have enough I bet, I imagine that some designer would laugh at what I do in Photoshop, but I have enough knowledge I think to put together to put together the graphics and make them passable. So that's it, it comes from
3: me. Just a couple more things. Uh, Syracuse is another team that I think if you pulled Western New York basketball fans, they'd probably be the number one team. Uh, I'm worried about them just because it, it seems like they're positioned here at you know number three, eight and zero. Have a chance to be a team that can be in the conversation all year is the scandal that's kind of been brewing there is that something that we would have to worry about potentially derailing this team is in your opinion and you know we don't have to get into the scandal because it's so depressing and you know that will kind of play itself out but should Syracuse basketball fans be worried that this could kind of build into something where Beheim isn't the coach anymore and the, the, the season just kind of derails and falls apart or do you think that they're solid and you know will
5: I can't say that they're 100% solid, but if you gauge the responses of the administration to what happened, I mean, Jim Baham started off on a really bad foot with this by, you know, naturally kind of defending his, you know, his longtime aide and he got, but he got way too defensive about it. And he, you know, and he made some comments that, you know, were out of line about, you know, the motives of the accusers. And, you know, since then he's backpedaled from it, he's apologized. And, you, know, you see the school president backing him, and I think that the difference, those, those to me are signs that maybe even unless that some kind of blockbuster thing is revealed in these, in these, uh, in the investigation, maybe knowing, maybe that Beheim knew more than he says he knows now. I mean, if if all things stay equal. I guess my my interpretation of it would be that Behan would keep his job, you know, but we don't know what's gonna be found in the investigation very early. I mean, we just have a couple of accusers. We don't know what's gonna happen. And it could get it could get worse. So I'm not sure. It seems like the players have separated themselves from this and that and that you know, they're obviously getting asked about it, but it's just not you know, I mean, Bernie was their coach, but I don't think that they they view themselves as any way you know, it's just kind of this like sideshow that's going on that it hasn't affected them very much. So I think if they if the entire coaching staff stays in place and you don't have any majorly horrible things, you know, revealed in this investigation and then and, and the and the kind of prosecution just sticks with Bernie Fine and only Bernie Fine, then Syracuse kind of moves on as is. But, I mean, it's just, it is depressing to have to talk about it. I mean, it's, and, and it's not going to go away. You can ignore it and it's, you know, it's, it's the worst story in college basketball this year, you know. So, can't ignore it, but... yeah. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't mean Syracuse can't have an excellent season. Uh,
3: there's been a lot of great early matchups of top teams. Really, kind of these preseason tournaments seem to really bring out some great non conference stuff. What is there still some non conference games that we should have on our radar here in December before teams really get into non conference or conference play after the Christmas holiday? What, what kind of game? I know you're covering the Jimmy V. Uh, tournament tonight tonight. uh what what are some non-conference games that haven't been played yet that should be on our radar
5: two that i like um a lot i mean this saturday you have ohio state at kansas i think that that's you know as good as ohio state has been thus far they have not played an away game (laughs) you know so you know we we have them propped up and you know i don't know they've obviously looked really good you know they beat florida at home they beat duke at home but haven't played an away game. Kansas is pretty good. It's not an easy place to play. I mean, you could easily. I think that you know you could easily see Kansas playing an excellent game there and knocking them off. Or you know, I think that at the very least it will be a good game. Um, I'm I'm interested to see uh, UNLV, UNLV at Wisconsin, which is also Saturday. Uh, you know, you kind of have Wisconsin needs to get a. Their numbers are really good, but they don't have a. You know, they don't have like that big win yet um, that could. Maybe justify their spot as a top ten team. Um, those two for now, and and also, um, Indiana. So this Saturday, I mean, the, another one is um, Kentucky at Indiana, because Indiana is, you know, like, like I mentioned before, it's a surprise team. Eight and numbers are really good, but you know they their best win is probably. I mean, they, I know they beat Butler, Butler's very down this year, and they won at North Carolina State, but that's not that's not an NCAA tournament team. You know, this is. Indiana's test, you know, where everyone's gonna kinda judge them against I don't think I don't think anyone expects no one expects them to beat Kentucky, but if they get blown off the floor then it's gonna be tough for people to take them really seriously heading into the Big Ten, whereas if you play a game within five points of Kentucky, then people are all of a sudden like, Well maybe Indiana should be, you know, ranked, you know, this is you know, it to be taken seriously.
3: Right. So it seems like Saturday without college football this week, for the most part, it seems like a great day to just sit back and watch basketball then.
5: Yes, put in many hours in front of the TV. I plan to.
3: So. I uh, I'm an o- Oklahoma fan. Uh, I had a friend play football there, and ever since I've been a fan of Oklahoma sports. Have a new coach this year. Any reason to be excited about the basketball team this year for me?
5: I think that you're going to have to wait a little longer yeah. before you before you uh, <laughs> before <laughs> that happens because Oklahoma is still. Uh, I mean, I know what are you 5 They're five and one now, um, but they didn't show. I mean. They they were beaten by what twenty points by St Louis, which is a good a ten team. But I don't th- I think they're your the Big Twelve is weak. But I don't think that this is the NCAA tournament team this year, and, and it's going to take some building back. I mean, they were they were really they really kind of hit after Cable left, and
3: uh, right.
5: I would almost say two or three years before you're really have the potential to be strong again. So I nope. apologize, but that's yeah, the reality.
3: No house price yeah. no Hollis price on campus this year or anything like that?
5: Well do you need to if you recruit the JUCO ranks and you can pull in pull in you can pull do the old Kelvin Sampson thing where you pull in right, great right, JUCO like brand, Maybe tray. you're closer than, than I than I think. I mean it's possible. Yeah.
3: All right. Uh Luke Wynn, Sports Illustrated, sports Illustrated at Luke Wynn on Twitter. Uh Last thing, anything you're you're working on for the magazine? Uh, what can we look forward to from uh, Luke Quinn? And anything you want to plug?
5: Jim Ev coverage tonight. Power rankings Thursday. Um, I have one magazine story in the works. I just don't know. Not to be, not to be uh, too secretive. I just don't know when it's going to run. So I tend to not, <laughs> I tend to not like to not say what they are until I know when they're going to run. Because otherwise, it'll it could sit for a few months and maybe someone else would do it. So, uh, so. <laughs> One secret magazine project in the works.
3: Alright, Luke, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for your time. It's good to have you back. And uh, I'm sure we'll check in soon to maybe around New Year's and see how things are going. Have a great uh, holiday season.
5: Alright, thanks for having me on. I appreciate thanks, it. Buddy. Happy holidays to you too.
3: Yep.
4: All right, we want to thank Luke Wynn for joining us again. Uh, he's always good to us. Um, we started this last week, our, a new segment. We're going to try to keep going if you guys like it. If you don't, like I said, email
3: us and tell us how bad it is. Sportscasters at gmail.com. Right.
4: Uh, this is our list segment. We're every week we're going to have a list of uh, 10 or so things. We're going to go back and forth. This week, because of the BCS announcements, we're going to go with the top 10 BCS national championship games. Uh Starting with number 10 is the 2005 Orange Bowl. That was USC, Oklahoma. Uh, USC
3: just running away with it 55-19. to 19. You know, this; these games only it goes from 1999 forward since the BCS started. You know, we didn't consider games that essentially were national championship games in the past. But weren't BCS. But, you know, they, these are literally from 1999 forward, the 10 BCS finals. There's been a lot of blowouts. I think the USC Oklahoma game is probably the best of the blowouts just because of the talent that was on the field. All three starting Oklahoma wide receivers played in the NFL. Uh, Steve Smith and Dwayne Jarrett played in the NFL. Reggie Bush and Lendell White, Matt Leinart. All, you know, tons of talent on the field. Number nine is LSU Oklahoma, LSU 21 14. Seems like that's such a close game that it would be higher on the list, but it was just a boring game. <laughs> uh, Oklahoma had a chance late in the game to possibly tie the game. And another thing that kind of ruins this 2004 Sugar Bowl is that LSU didn't win the outright national championship. Uh, really? It's the only time that the AP poll didn't award them the national championship. They gave it to USC. Okay. So USC won the national championship. For the AP poll and LSU won the Coaches Poll National Championship, which is the only thing that this BCS game actually guarantees.
4: Oh, okay. I did not know that you learned something every day. Uh, number eight, uh, 2010 game Alabama, Texas, Alabama winning 37
3: 21. And that game is probably most known for the fact that Colt McCoy got a shoulder injury really early in that game and wasn't able to finish the game for Texas. Basically, had a tried to beat Alabama without their starting quarterback, and that didn't work out. No. Number seven is Florida State 46, Virginia Tech 29. That's the 2000 and Sugar Bowl. Really cool game because it was Michael Vick playing for Virginia Tech and Peter Warwick playing for Florida State. And at the time, those were the two biggest athletes in, in college football. I think Peter Warwick ended up being like around the sixth pick, maybe the fourth. And Michael Vick was the first pick. Yeah, Peter Warwick definitely didn't have the success. Yeah, Yeah. didn't have the success in the NFL. But it was a really cool, really interesting game to see, you know, which of the two unbelievable college athletes would shine under the spotlight. And, you know, Peter Warwick got the most of them that night, and Florida State won the national championship. But in the long run, obviously, Michael Vick has definitely proved to be the more polarizing figure. Number six is that first
4: 1999 uh, BCS championship game of the Fiesta Bowl. Uh Tennessee winning twenty-three over Florida State sixteen.
3: Yep. First uh year for f- Tennessee without Peyton Manning. Okay. And uh they that's right. The yeah. whole Ewing theory, the start of the Ewing theory, kind of <laughs> uh losing their best player and winning the national championship next year, Tennessee. Number five is Oklahoma thirteen, Florida State two. 2001 Orange Bowl. It's one of those games that was low-scoring but was super exciting the whole way through. It's only one touchdown in the game scored by Quinton Griffin of Oklahoma, who kind of hid behind everyone and scampered into the end zone. <laughs> it's Oklahoma's first national championship in the Bob Stoops era, um, and that was the third of three national championship games to feature Florida State. Yeah, Yeah, Florida State was in all three of the first— 3. Number 4,
4: Oklahoma 20 or sorry, Florida 24, Oklahoma 14. That was a 2009 BCS National Championship game.
3: Yeah, one thing that changed somewhere in the middle of this is instead of only having the Orange Bowl and then having it as a national championship, every year they still have the Orange Bowl, but if the Orange Bowl is the site of the National Championship game they one call week later, them. they play the National Championship game at that site. Okay. So there's two games in that stadium in a week. You know, the, the gotcha. Orange Bowl, just the regular Orange Bowl, and then the BCS National Championship game. Gotcha. I think this was the first year they did this, maybe the second, and it was a great game. Went into the fourth quarter. Basically, either team could win, and Florida made more plays in the fourth quarter, especially Percy Harvin, who was unbelievable. Oklahoma had to play this game, unfortunately, without DeMarco Murray, uh, who got injured in the Big 12 championship game. Number three is last year's game, the game that was played the day before the debut of the sportscasters. (laughs) Auburn 22 and Oregon 19. Obviously, Cam Newton Newton, led the winning field goal drive to give Auburn its first national championship game in years.
4: Number two, uh, we have Ohio State 31, Miami 24. That was the 2003 Fiesta Bowl.
3: Yeah, that was an overtime game. Uh, I think the only one of these that has went to overtime me and you watched it in college at our college apartment, and it ended on a controversial was pass that the, interference call. That wasn't the uh, Willis McGahee blown knee It game, was. was it? Okay. Yes. Oh, I do remember
4: that. Yeah, that's right. The pass interference. Yeah, that was, that was ugly.
3: Yep. All right. Number one. Probably, un- this probably isn't debatable. Probably- a so, hundred people could make this list. They so probably all have this game number one. Vince Young game, right? Yep, this yeah. is Vince Young in Texas, 41, USC 38, 2006 Rose Bowl. Also known for a really bizarre Reggie Bush pitch play that kind of changed the momentum of the game. It's also another game that's just loaded with pros, uh, obviously Reggie Bush. and was, wasn't still there, was he? Yeah, you know, when I, earlier when I, I said liner, I think I was supposed to say um, – Oh no, Leinert was in both. Was he in both? Yeah, okay. yeah. Liner was in both because he's only in been both.
4: in the NFL for four years,
3: huh? Yeah, Liner Liner stayed the extra year. Remember that one year he took ballroom he, he dancing. He took ballroom <laughs> dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So an unbelievable national championship game. Finch Young made so many plays late in the game. That wasn't an overtime game either. Was no, it wasn't. Oh, okay, no, he just just real high. He scoring. just scored at the very end of the game. Young scored on like a sweep, sneak play. And uh, USC just had no answer for him. It was yeah, a great game. I remember
4: just how nonchalant Young played.
3: So it'll be interesting to see where this year's national championship, which will be ever for called called the the rematch. I guess it's going to be garbage, right? I mean, well, I mean the last game. I guess it was the two close. Teams so it was, was nine scoring. to six yeah. and went to overtime. So I got hopes for it. I guess I just, I guess I'll just always think there could have been a better game because I think LSU Oklahoma State's a better game. Right. You get the best defense against the best offense. Right. You know, and this is just a a rematch of a game I already seen. Right. I don't I don't know that it it's it's an okay game and I'll be there watching it, no doubt about it. Yeah, it's just a bad system, which we could talk about for another hour. All right, we're gonna take another break and be right back with Freddie Coleman from ESPN Radio. Our next guest is from Brooklyn, New York, and is a graduate of Mansfield University. He's a former television guy who used to appear on CNN Sports Tonight and was a regular on the now-defunct CSN SI. In 2004, he joined ESPN Radio. These days, he still works for ESPN Radio, where he is the host of his own show every Friday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Easter time. He also co-hosts Inside the Huddle with John Clayton every Saturday from 4 to 8 He's making his first appearance on the Sportscaster, so a very warm welcome to the very talented Freddie Coleman. How you doing today, Fred?
0: Uh, Steve, I'm doing good, my man, and nice touch with the band. Anytime that pomp and circumstance happens, I'm always for that.
3: Yeah, that was the Mansfield University fight song.
0: Uh, I knew exactly. I I, I know the words, but... I'm not going to sing it because that would not be good for your show at all, but really, really nice touch. Thank you so much for that.
3: We we like to pump people up with their fight songs, but I've got to be honest, that was one I didn't expect to find. But I did. So You know,
0: there's, our band department at school has been known because we're more of a music school and a teacher's school, and we've done pretty well in athletics, so believe me, the band, the fight song, I'm not surprised you found it. I'm surprised you thought enough to look for it, let's put it that way. <laughs>
3: Yeah, um, what was it? Oh, I had a guest earlier, and he went to CW Post, and I wasn't able to find that one, but he was a big Bon Jovi fan, so we played that, and that seemed to excite him enough. But uh, we're excited to have you on today. We really appreciate it. Um, Looking forward to just kind of picking your brain a little bit about uh, sports radio, and maybe we'll talk a little bit of NFL. And uh, I guess where I want to start is i just want to ask you kind of in general terms like as we get ready to move from 2011 to 2012 here kind of like if you were to give a press conference on kind of the state of sports radio uh what would you what points would you make like where do you feel like sports radio is and evolving to as we get deeper and deeper into the 21st century
0: Uh, that's a really good question and the first thing i would say if i had that kind of press conference I would basically start, out, start off with two tenets that, really have, that I've applied to what I've been able to do. And I think everybody should apply to whatever they want to do in Sports Talk Radio. Number one, you have to be honest. And what I mean by that is, however person you are, whatever person you are, that's the kind of person you have to convey and you let everybody else out there, the audience, make their own decision. They may not like what you say. They may enjoy what you say but they want to know it comes from your heart and it comes from you being honest. So that would be number one. And number two, you have to be compelling in your content. Whatever you're going to talk about, you have to bring that passion. You have to bring that fun. You have to bring everything that that that, that subject entails and really be on top of things because your credibility is going to be attached to how you feel about a subject and how strongly you're going to speak about it, whether it's for or against it. So those are the two things, if I had to have a press conference about sports talk radio, not just going from this year to next year, but from this point on, you have to be honest and you have to be passionate, especially when your credibility comes into play.
3: You know, you mentioned credibility, and I think it, what it's tied to is preparation. And I think one people, one thing that people overlook or don't understand about radio and podcasts is that the host spends... Just as much time, if not more, preparing for what he's going to do on the air, as the time that he spends on the air. How important is preparation, and what is your ratio to preparation to air time? Do you spend a lot of time preparing, or do you like to kind of have more spont- spontaneity in your broadcasts?
0: Well, you can have both, Steve, because I prepare anywhere from three to four hours a day for my radio show. I don't care if I'm doing that radio show for an hour or when I do the NFL on ESPN radio every Sunday for seven hours, I'm going to prepare and make sure I have as much information and knowledge at my fingertips that I can make a total recall when I go on the air. And you can clearly tell when someone has not prepared because it sounds like they've mailed it in. It sounds like they don't want to be there. You can, I'd rather have someone on the air that is over prepared where I can say, okay, that's enough instead of listening to somebody and say, boy, you have no idea what you're talking about. You're putting something out there and you don't have any preparation or any facts to back that up. So not everyone is talented enough where you can just jump into a show without any preparation and make that work. You may be able to do it for a day. Maybe a week, but at a certain point, you're going to have to do what is necessary to make it an art form and continue to make what we do an art form, whether it's podcasting, on the computer, or if if you're fortunate or blessed to be in a position that I am at ESPN Radio. So I can clearly tell when someone has prepared and when someone has not, and when that person is not prepared, I have no interest of listening to that person.
3: In terms of your own preparation, you know, you do a lot of different things on ESPN radio. Like when you do, when I'm sure when you prepare for your show on Friday nights, the Freddie Coleman show, you're kind of like, you, you have these topics, you have some certain goals that you want to achieve. And maybe once in a while, there's a breaking story that will that will kind of change that. But when you're on the radio, for, as you said, for seven hours on Sundays, you're kind of reacting to things as they happen on the fly. How is preparing for those two diff- different situations different? And what do you prefer? Do you like the kind of... Who knows what's going to happen? Spontaneity of a Sunday, or do you prefer the more structure of the Friday night shows?
0: Well, I really enjoy both, Steve, because I think it depends on how creative you want to be, and there there's going to be plenty of creativity in both of those. Whether you're generating topics, generating compelling content for a personality-driven show, driven show excuse me, or when you do the NFL and ESPN radio where you're reacting to the games that are going on but you still can have your personality involved, and you have to really put people in the stadium. And it takes a lot of creativity, and it takes a lot of word picturing to do that, because if someone's driving along, I want them to feel as if they're in Lambeau Field and Green Bay taking taken on Chicago, and Aaron Rodgers has just completed a pass to Greg Jennings for the winning score. I want to take them out of their car and put them in the seat to Lambeau Field, whether they're a Packers fan or a Bears fan. I think the versatility that I'm very fortunate to have and that I really encourage everybody to have really serves me well no matter what kind of show I'm going to do.
3: When you're doing the the Sunday show, you might say at five o'clock find out that you're gonna be lucky enough to have on let's just throw out a name, let's say Tim Tebow. Oh well, he's he's mm-hmm. got ten minutes to join you from the locker room. How hard is it to approach an interview like that? Like for example, I'm doing this interview. I had a week or more to prepare for this. I was able to take notes. I was able to do research online. And and it's easy now because of that. And we've talked about preparation, how important it is. But you can't prepare for an interview that you didn't know about until five minutes before it. How challenging is that?
0: It is very challenging because you have to fight the balance, Steve. You have to fight that line between talking about game specifics or the bigger story. And when you have someone like Tim Tebow, you're fortunate to get him on. It's when they talk about winning the game but there are plenty of times that I go into those kind of situations where I say, okay, what is it about this season that has been so special? Oh, can you believe that you're 6-1 and one as a starting quarterback? Are people ever going to give you a fair shake of being a starting quarterback, even in your own organization? I think you can have a game-specific play if something was really a game-changer. But other than that, when I get somebody on that has just finished playing a game, more often than not, they want to talk about the team – or something else outside of the game because they talked about it enough. That's what our job is, to make make it a point to mention the people, boy, the Broncos were able to win today. They did a great job winning. You get a Tim Tebow on, I try to put myself in a position of, if I'm a fan, if I'm just an average Joe or Josephine, what would be the question I'd want an answer to? What What would be a question I would ask Tim Tebow? And that's the approach I take when we get athletes after the game is over during the NFL on ESPN Radio.
3: Not to use a cliche, but you're saying that it's important to be able to see the forest through the trees almost.
0: Oh, no question about that because sometimes you, and sometimes the best question to ask is why, when, what, or where. But it's the question before that that can lead you into that no matter who you're talking to. So, yeah, you can think in terms of right then and there when you're interviewing somebody after a ball game but plenty of times you have to think of a big picture prime example i had a chance to talk to don monson the head coach of long beach state after they beat pittsburgh now we know it's a big upset win for the program but the first question i thought i thought to ask for him was i know tonight was a huge upset but what does it really mean for your program and the answer i got could have been better than any answer steve i could have anticipated when he said well a lot of people may not know about us now but now they will know about it from this point on. But right. we know we're a good basketball team, but now everybody else is going to see it because we went into the house of a Big East team and we beat them on their home floor. So you can have that line of questioning and then you can get game-specific or flip it the other way. But either way, you've got to have those in front of you.
3: Let's talk a little bit about the NFL season because you spend so much of your time on that Sunday show. And I'm just curious, has there been any specific stories that you've really enjoyed following as the season has evolved? Is there anything that you've been really interested to follow, how it's progressed from week one to week, what are we going on, 14 now?
0: Well, well the one thing is Green Bay Packers going for the undefeated season because yeah. I think a lot of people, Steve, knew that this team was going to be good. I don't think anybody anticipated that here we are going into the final four weeks of the season and this team is 12-0, and and it seems as if no matter what you throw in front of them, they're able to overcome it. They go on the road and they beat the New York Giants, a team that was primed to beat them on their home field. That didn't happen. They've been able to win football games without playing their best game. So that's been a great storyline, number one. I think the Houston Texans, they've been an outstanding storyline that every time we turn around, someone gets injured, they can't play for a while, or or they're out for the rest of the season the next guy steps up and they're able to make plays and they're able to win football games. That's been a great storyline. You mentioned about Tim Tebow, what he's doing with Denver. Wouldn't it be amazing if he's able to step in mid-season and lead this team to a division championship? So when you have the National Football League, so many storylines are going to be out there, not just week to week, but season to season or quarter to quarter as we're going into the fourth quarter of the season. So I want to see how those three storylines, in addition to other storylines that we know will jump up in the month of December, that makes the NFL so great.
3: I want to follow up on a couple of things you mentioned. Let's start with the Packers. You know, last well, let's see, basically two times ago that we had a team that threatened to go undefeated. It was the year before the Saints and the Colts were both doing it simultaneously. It was the Patriots, and they made it 16-0, went to the playoffs, got to the Super Bowl, and they got tripped up by a matchup. You know, it was the perfect storm, a team that could could get Tom Brady down on the ground with just a four-man pass rush. It was the right matchup at the right time. Do you see a team out there, maybe in the NFC or maybe not until the Super Bowl, that matches up well enough with Green Bay that they could pull off the upset? Or do you think that Green Bay is so versatile and can beat you in so many different ways that it's really going to take a team playing their A game against maybe Green Bay showing up with their F game, For them not to be the Super Bowl champions?
0: Well, I'm going to combine two teams. I think if you had a team with the Ravens defense and the Saints offense, that team (laughs) would would beat the Packers, Steve, because the Ravens defense is so good, but I don't trust Joe Flacco against Aaron Rodgers that he'll be able to make plays, although Ray Rice is a great compliment to have to keep that offense off the field in Green Bay where he can run the football. On the other side, the New Orleans Saints, I feel that's the one team. That if they got into a firefight with the Green Bay Packers, that the final score is going to be forty-two to forty-one or forty-five to forty, that they would be able to win that football game because they have an offense that will love to play an up-and-down basketball kind of style of game. But every time I keep looking for a weakness to take apart Green Bay and beat them, I've yet to find it. You may think you can take this guy away from Aaron Rodgers or that guy away, but somebody else steps up, and the defense may be, be may be maligned, maybe maligned. Excuse me but they take away the football. And when they don't take away the football, they seem to come up with that important defensive stop to get their defense off the field and then put their offense on the field. So I'm not saying it can't be done because I don't look at Green Bay as really an elite and elite team. I don't think we talk about them in the same line we talked about the New England Patriots back in 2007. But how many times have we seen a team where people say, I wonder how good they are, And that team winds up getting to the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl. Green Bay is not interested in being undefeated. They're talking about it. They've acknowledged it, which is good. But all they care about is going 1-0 every week. And so far, so good for that football team, where it's not about this matchup or that matchup or that team. It's who we're going to play that week, how we're going to beat that team, and keep on keeping on.
3: Yeah, I think I agree with you. And, you know, I I look at the 49ers, and I think that they probably don't have the, the horses on offense. And I think about the Saints, and, you know, we've seen that game on opening day. It was a Thursday night game to start the season, and the Saints had the ball in the red zone with a fourth down play and a chance to basically have a two-point play to tie it. And they've, with the exception of the Giants game last week, it seems like they've been the closest. Do you think the Saints have evolved enough over the course of the season to play that same game, but in January in, in Lambeau? It's a different... It's a different feeling when it's January, right? And we've seen the Saints in the 06 championship game play in Chicago and just not be able to click the way they did in the Dome in the cold. Could maybe that be another element of Green Bay that we haven't even thought of yet, the advantage that they have in their cold-weather stadium?
0: Yeah, no doubt about that because you mentioned about 2006, and I think the difference between this Saints team now compared to that one is this team has more weapons. And that was their first really foray into getting into that kind of setting. Right. Well, they've been there now. They've won the Super Bowl championship. They've had a lot of media attention. So they clearly understand what that's all about. But going in the Lambeau field and dealing with that crowd and dealing with that team, and you know that defense is going to be amped up more than anybody could have anticipated, it's going to be very hard to beat that football team there because as we've seen, Steve, it's hard to beat the Green Bay Packers when they come to your house. Now, I will yeah. say this about any team like that. When you get advantage and when you get a chance to put points on the board, it has to be seven. You can't settle for three. The year the Patriots won, uh, almost won the Super Bowl. The Giants did a great job of when the Patriots made a mistake, they were able to get seven points inside the red zone. Once they got in there, they did not come away with either no points or three points. If you're going to beat the Green Bay Packers and you have a chance to score seven, you have got to put seven on the board. If you settle for field goals, I know that team on the other side is going to get seven, and all of a sudden a game that could be close, they seem to pull away from you a little bit and create a lot of separation, and it makes it very hard for your football team to try to climb back and maybe beat that team.
3: The Sportscasters are here with Freddie Coleman from ESPN Radio. You can also follow him on Twitter. He's at Coleman ESPN. You know, there's a question that I've been having trouble finding an answer to, and it's a really simple question with a really hard answer. Who is the best team in the AFC?
0: Yeah, well, you're right, there is no simple answer. I don't think there is because you have four teams in the AFC that are 9-3 and three between the Ravens, the Patriots, the Steelers, and the Houston Texans. I think the Ravens are that best team, but believe me, it's a slight margin because are you really going to trust anybody against Tom Brady, the New England Patriots, in the playoffs, when you know he's going to be motivated to get past that first playoff game, which they have not done in the last two seasons? the houston texans can they ride with tj yates the right. rookie quarterback with that defense that seems to get better and better each and every week yet the pittsburgh steelers their defense has gotten better ben roethlisberg has been terrific playing through a lot of injuries and they're starting to run the football more but I just love the way the Ravens have that look. They had that look on defense with Heloki, not at the best interior defensive lineman, in my opinion, in the National Football League. Ray Lewis won't have as much tread on his tire. He'll be healthy in the playoffs. That's something a lot of people aren't talking about with the toe injury that he had. And I think we're starting to see the identity of the Ravens is we're going to ride Ray Rice when he gets the football, whether it's running the football or catching the football it makes everything better on that offense and now you do not have to put as much pressure on Joe Flacco. I think that identity on offense and the way that defense has been playing lights out in the last 6 weeks By a slight margin I got the Ravens as the best team in the AFC.
3: You mentioned kind of the logjam of 9 and 3 teams but the AFC also has what is it 5 7 and 5 teams. Mm-hmm. Do any of those seven and five teams stick out to you as being a potential contender in the playoffs? I mean, only probably three of the five are going to make it. Maybe you know someone's going to win the AFC West, and then two teams. Someone's going to win the AFC West, and one of their teams going to get the last wild card. Are there two leaders that you see in the, that group of seven and five teams?
0: Yeah, I would say because of the way they play defense, the Denver Broncos. I just wonder when Tim Teeper has to go against an offense that can get up and down and a defense that can stop him, how they'll be able to figure that out because the one game I saw that they got their pants pulled down by the Detroit Lions where that offense was going up and down the field and the defense knocked him around. Now, that was before, and Dominic and Sue lost his mind again, and now he's suspended, and you worry about the psyche of that football team.
2: Right. I just want and we'll
0: find out this weekend, when at a certain point when the Broncos play the Patriots, okay, you got Tom Brady on one side and Tim Tebow on the other, and the Patriots' defense has gotten better. I'm going to be very interested to see how he'll be able to deal with that and find a way to win, because that's the kind of football team he's going to play, that the Broncos are going to play, if they win the AFC West and get into the playoffs.
3: We've been talking a lot on the sportscasters about how it seems like the NFL is moving into a real golden age of quarterback play. Obviously, it's a quarterback league. The rules are set up for the quarterbacks to be successful. And we have kind of this established group of Breeze and Rogers and Brady and if Manning can come back healthy of these these elite quarterbacks and Roethlisberger we have to throw in there. And then this year we've seen a really strong rookie class of quarterbacks and even going back to Stafford joining the league and and Bradford joining the league and this year we've seen strong play from Dalton and Newton and even Christian Ponder has shown some some signs of, uh, of stardom and then we have a great class coming in with Andrew Luck who people raved about and Robert Griffin III and uh, if Barkley from USC comes out and maybe Landry Jones from Oklahoma, have you, can you remember a time where the NFL seems to be just so rich and talented quarterbacks?
0: Oh, no, not at all. And I was born in 1965, and I don't remember anything like this at all, Steve. And here's why I think that's the case. It goes back to high school where now you're starting to see those passing camps, seven-on-seven camps, and those camps are happening in the summer. And they're getting the proper teaching at quarterback as well, where NFL guys or college guys, they have a chance to teach these guys in high school. Matt Barkley talked about going to the Peyton Manning, the Manning passing camp, and learning more in one summer than anybody in his high school or at his high school could have taught him. So now you're starting to see that being put in play in high school, and you're seeing spread offenses and quarterbacks having to make those reads. By the time they get to college. They're a lot further along than quarterbacks of 15 to 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. And now they're going to be further along when they get to the National Football League, where you mentioned Andrew Luck of Stafford, of Stanford, or Matt Barkley at USC, Robert Griffith third of Baylor. I like Landry Jones of Oklahoma, even though things did not end well for his Oklahoma team at the end, right. that's because his team was beaten up. He was still getting out there and trying to make those plays. Mm-hmm. I think when you have that and they get to the NFL level, the learning curve is not going to be as steep because they've seen so much since high school that by the time they get to the National Football League, they're able to pick up things so much quicker that it makes a team immediately say to themselves, we can't keep this guy on the bench for a year. He's ready to play now. Let's let him get out there, and then we'll build pieces around him.
3: You know, before the draft, there was a lot of talk about Cam Newton, whether he was worth a first overall pick. You know, a lot of people didn't know a lot about him, so he only played the one year at Auburn. And You know, before the draft, I heard comparisons. Is he going to be the next Vince Young? Well, he's come out and had a fantastic rookie season, obviously setting the record for rushing touchdowns by a quarterback. And I don't hear anyone comparing him to Vince Young anymore. Has he surprised you with how well he's been able to step on the NFL field and compete?
0: Steve, I knew he was going to be good, but I don't think anybody could have anticipated that he would be able to do what he's been able to do so far. Now, let's be honest, a big part of that, Steve Smith being healthy, a wide receiver, Brandon LaFellas come on as well, the kid out of LSU, and the two tight ends, Greg Golson, and Jeremy Shockey. So if you're a rookie, you're stepping into a position where you have three potential pro bowlers or guys who have pro bowl level that are going to make your team better. And I think a lot of people wondered, okay, if we, we should be able to confuse him and he won't be able to make plays. Well, each and every week he does something that I say to myself, wow, wow, I can't believe. He was able to figure that out, digest it, and make a quick decision and make the right decision to make it a great play for his football team. And as athletic as he is, he's pretty much figured out that, all right, when I get a first down, it's okay to slide and get out of bounds. I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody up here, but be the best quarterback that I can be. And I think once they put a defense around him, that Panthers team in the next couple of years is going to be very difficult to deal with because I think they'll continue to make sure they fortify him with enough offensive weapons where guys, if they leave or if they break down or if they retire, they're going to have somebody waiting in the wings to take that spot. So a lot of I thought he was going to be a good quarterback, and I thought that they were going to put him on the field a lot earlier than people could have anticipated. I don't think anybody expected that this guy would rush for 13 touchdowns yeah. and make one of those u two plays each and every week that we've seen from Cam Newton in Carolina.
3: Yeah, and you know he's got. You mentioned the talent he has at wide receiver and tight end. He's got two pretty dependable running backs. He's able to hand the ball to as well in D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart. Uh, you know. I'm not going to be probably be able to talk to you beforehand, and I know it's early, but I'm going to ask you, who who do you expect to see in the Super Bowl in Indianapolis in February? Wow,
0: that's a really good question, and I still think it's wide open. Before the season started, I picked Patriots would take on the Saints the way the Packers have oh, played, I'm probably going to change that right now, Steve, because I still don't see a loss in the regular season for this team. I don't still see an NFC team that can beat them, especially you have to go to Lambeau Field and play that football team. Yeah. So I'll amend what I said earlier before the season. I think we're online to see... A Patriots-Packers Super Bowl because the Packers are motivated to make it back-to-back chances to win that, and I think the Patriots are motivated because they feel their window of opportunity may be getting a lot smaller than even they want to admit, and their chance of getting to a Super Bowl and winning it will not be as prevalent as we'll see in later years.
3: The sports are here with Freddie Coleman from ESPN Radio. Just a couple minutes left. We covered the NFL. We talked a little bit about his job as a, a host of some shows on ESPN Radio. I want to ask you uh, just a couple last things about radio. How has Twitter uh, kind of changed what you do on the radio, if it has at all?
0: i put it this way. When Twitter first came along, Steve, I said to myself, okay, here's another device for people to really pontificate about nothing. And I've completely turned around on that. Twitter has been a goldmine for anybody in radio because so many well-respected people are on radio that if they have breaking news, you can get it before anybody else. And it's also it's great to hear people having adult conversations and whether they're arguing about this team or that team or this quarterback or that quarterback. Where all of a sudden you have that in your mind. Okay, that's what some people are talking about. And that's sort of a preparation technique that I use. And you don't use it all the time because I don't think you want to be a slave to what people's opinions out there. You have to have opinions of your own. But if people having a good argument back and forth about something, all of a sudden you can bring that to your radio show and allow people to take part of that as well with text messages and emails and everything else. So Twitter, use properly. And if you don't use it properly, it'll come back to bite you. But when you use it properly, it really can make you not just a better radio host, but make your show better.
3: One last thing about Twitter, and y- you know, you mentioned how initially a lot of people had this kind of misconception about it that it was going to be celebrities talking about the sandwich that they ate last or something like that. But <laughs> one use that I've found for Twitter that I really enjoy, and Game 6 of the World Series is maybe the most recent example I can think of this where something incredible is happening in sports and the last night of the baseball regular season or the NFC championship game last year is another example and we all kind of just join on Twitter and it feels like we're all watching it together and everyone has their opinions about what they're seeing and everyone is able to kind of talk about it, and it's almost like you're walking into the ultimate sports bar. Have you found yourself maybe picking up your iPad or your iPhone or however you you view Twitter during these moments when you're watching sports at home on TV and just kind of like getting that bar atmosphere and kind of throwing out your opinions and reading other people's opinions on what's unfolding in the various games?
0: It's funny because Twitter has seemed to be like a community organizer when it comes to something like that where it makes the world smaller in a good way because... Even if you have a, look, a back and forth with somebody, that's somebody that otherwise you might not have a chance to have that conversation with, or that you're never going to meet, but yet you feel connected because you're watching something terrific. As you mentioned, whether it's game six of the World Series between Texas and St. Louis, and it really was crystallized to me with the last night of the baseball season where so many things would happen right. within the thirty minute period. And you had Cardinals fans saying this and Braves fans saying that and Phillies fans saying this and Yankees fans and Red Sox fans. It just went all over the place. And I said to myself, Wow, this is something that you say to yourself, man, this this exactly if you're going to have something like that that's the perfect, perfect way that it should be used. Now of course everybody's gonna be out there to let people know at home on board. Well those people you just leave alone and don't worry about them. But usually someone will have something on Twitter or say something on there you say it's a boy. That's really, really good. I never thought about that before. So anytime that happens, especially in our line of work where we can have that kind of that kind of extra bonus that we could not have anticipated. That's when Twitter is used right and it's used perfectly, and a lot of people clearly understand exactly how that should be used.
3: What do you think the strengths of ESPN radio are, and what do you think ESPN radio can improve?
0: Well, but I think the strength is having those four letters, where right. no matter what people think about it, you're going to pay attention when ESPN is behind you or in front of you, whatever that is. Anytime you have a chance to be associated with something like that, that continues to be a phenomenon in sports. Only good comes out of that as far as I'm concerned. The one thing I say that we need to improve, we have to really make sure that we don't become a caricature of ourselves. And it could be very easy to do that if we believe that we don't have any competition or if we get complacent. That's when you really have to be on your P's and Q's and make sure you're doing everything possible to be a better network, second by second, minute by minute. And I think that mantra is really. has really prevailed with our company in that we've gotten to a lot of tops of mountains but the reason we keep continuing to do that is we don't stand there and admire the view we look for another mountain to conquer and another mountain to climb so if you had a great show on monday make it a better show on tuesday if the show didn't go that well on monday make sure you do your due diligence to make sure it's better on tuesday by us having that mindset we're only going to continue to succeed because we know competition is going to come at us from near and from far we welcome that competition because now we get a chance to find out what we're made of. And then if we're able to conquer that, then we find out exactly what that competition is made of.
3: You know, there's so many things in the ESPN empire. There's all the different television networks. There's the pod center. There's the radio division. Uh, Do you ever feel like radio gets lost a little bit? You know, I was thinking about the book we've had James Andrew Miller on twice to talk about is those guys have all the fun and it's 8,000 or 800 pages about ESPN, and there's barely anything about ESPN radio in there. And do you, do you think that you get overlooked a little bit on the radio side?
0: No, I don't, Steve, and here's why. Because I know that I'm in a position that 99.9% of the world would probably love to be and to do what I do. So if you have a chance to be on a national forum... It may not be the same as the TV side, but the reason there's an ESPN radio is because of what SportsCenter did back on TV way back in the day. If they weren't successful, who knows if there would have been an ESPN radio. If WFAN in New York was not successful when it came on board in October of 1987, who's to say that we would have an ESPN radio? So I never look at it as I'm being overlooked or that ESPN radio is being overlooked. You make it, and you make the best of it, and you get something out of it. And to me, that's more important. Anytime I go into work, it's not work to me. I enjoy what I do because it's my career, and it's not a job. It's so much fun being there. I don't worry about if I'm being overlooked or if ESPN radio is not getting the same kind of recognition as the people on the TV side. To me, that's immaterial because in our own way, we've been able to carve out a niche that a lot of people know about, a lot of people enjoy, and a lot of people can't wait to see what we're going to say next.
3: All right, last thing. Uh, ESPN is in the middle of Jimmy V Week, and um, I talked to Luke Wynn from Sports Illustrated earlier, and he's going to be covering uh, the Jimmy V games at Madison Square Garden tonight. And I know that the Jimmy V Foundation is important to ESPN Radio. I know Jimmy's brother has uh, is often has a show on ESPN Radio. What does the Jimmy V Foundation mean to you as a host on ESPN Radio and what is ESPN Radio doing this week to kind of bring awareness to the Jimmy V Foundation and raise money for it? Well, the one
0: thing is about about the Jimmy V about the Jimmy V Foundation. It means everything to us because each and every year, each and every day we clearly understand that somebody put it out there. To make sure that people are going to be more aware about cancer and how we can fight this deadly disease. And when you think about what you're able to do compare, in comparison to other people who don't have that because they're dealing with cancer or they have a relative dealing with cancer, that is something that is a, a good thing to remember day by day in terms of what the Jimmy V Foundation stands for, not just for ESPN radio, but outside of it. And anytime we have Jimmy V Foundation Week, we have a chance to talk about stories and talk about things that people may have a tough time dealing with, but they need to get it out there. so it's always important that we let people know about the speech that he gave at the Espies back in nineteen ninety three. And Steve, from my standpoint, one of the greatest speeches I've ever heard. So it's not just a week where we're like, oh the donate do this and call here. No, it's about celebrating what Jimmy Valvano stood for and what his name and his foundation continues to stand for and we're going to do everything we can and to us is Jimmy V week every week because we don't mind talking about it but give a chance to celebrate his life and his legacy and also help help to beat this deadly disease well that's something we all stand behind and we can't wait to do it each and every day and each and every year
3: freddy Coleman ESPN radio again it's at Coleman ESPN on Twitter uh... check him out every Friday night check him out on Saturdays with John Clayton, check him out on Sundays uh, anything else you want to mention that I didn't get to?
0: No, I think you got to everything, Steve. <laughs> Steve preparation. Preparation, my friend. It always works. <laughs>
3: Thank you very much, Mr. Coleman. We really appreciate it. Anytime, Steve. Thank you. It's time for a new segment we've created called Five on Fantasy. With the first pick, Adrian Peterson, Drew Brees, Steven Jackson, Miles Austin, Leonhette Ocho Cinco, TJ Houshmandzadeh. I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league. Thank you to Freddie Coleman from ESPN Radio. Very, I very much enjoyed that. Thanks to Freddie for joining us. All right, five on fantasy. It is officially, in all the leagues that I'm in, the fantasy playoffs. Yep. How'd you do? I am uh, actually in pay
4: leagues. I am four for four, so can't beat that. I don't like my odds in some of the leagues going into the pre- uh, postseason, but got to be in it to win it, I guess.
3: Yeah, in pay leagues, I was three for four. It was one league I just can't get right every year. <laughs> that happened again. And then in the listener league, I made the playoffs. We made the playoffs in Rich, the expert yeah, league. Yep. Um, oh, I we think th- we did. We did, huh? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I mean, I don't know the format exactly, and last I checked the website it hadn't switched over. We were 7 or 7 and 6 or 6 and 7. But we should have made it. Yeah. If you look at the the that, hierarchy of teams and the standings.
4: A, if you have a chance to be in a 16 team league, it might be more fun a little bit if it were a little more active like it's always more fun when there's a lot of chatter and right, it's a quieter friends league. and stuff like that. But if you have a chance to do, be in a 16 team league, do it because it's it's interesting when you're a, when guys like uh Backup running backs who aren't like in a platoon. Like I'm not talking Jonathan Stewart here. I'm talking guys like Jacquez Rogers and stuff are owned in leagues like yeah, that because. And we
3: did. We were the we're the seventh seed. Eight te- or yeah, eight teams are in the main winners bracket playoffs. We're the seventh seed. We play the number two seed somewhere. Over Dwayne Bow is the name of the team. Yeah.
4: So if you really want to play in a league where you got to work. For what you get, uh, sixteen team league. I had, I thought it was fun. It was an interesting
3: draft. And Jay Clemens, our guest who organized the league, finished eighth. So he beat him. The yeah, we beat the expert. There you go. So, uh, not bad. All right. I want to start this off, and what we're gonna do, Don, is I want to ask you for some of your biggest regrets or mistakes that you made in the fantasy season this year. All right. My biggest regrets.
4: Um, Typically, my biggest regrets are not being able to get deals done, uh, particularly in leagues like this one I'm in, which is also kind of one of the more leagues I take pride in because of how poorly I started and how bad I got burned in a trade. But I regret not being able to make a move. Uh, in that league, I have had Ben Roethlisberger and why well, can't think of his name? Cam Newton for practically the entire season. I've tried to shop them. Uh, sometimes it's just not fun to be in a league where people really won't respond. You just get back a... I literally got back something. I tried to trade him for Fred Jackson, which, granted, is a reach, but I got back, you've got to be kidding me. Let's make a counter. Right. Fred. Ja- this guy had two awesome running backs to go with, Fred Jackson. Now Fred Jackson's hurt, so I guess it worked out for me. But, uh, yeah, I've had two good wide receivers, or two good quarterbacks and two really good tight ends. I've had Jermichael Finley and... Uh, Aaron Hernandez in that league and I haven't been able to shop on either of them so sometimes my biggest regrets are I get a little too aggressive in trades and I've been bailed out by guys refusing
3: trades at times like I said for Fred Jackson I would say for me my biggest regret is that I might have put too many eggs in the Adrian Peterson basket you can argue in one sense that he got me to the playoffs in you know the leagues that I had him in But now he's gone, and potentially for the whole playoffs. Is he going to play this week? He's probably not going to play this week. I've heard conflicting reports. I've heard reports he's done for the year. I've heard reports that he's a week away or even possibly day to day. But, you know, there was one league where I didn't get to pick him. I had a ton of great draft picks this year. One league where I didn't get to pick him, I picked Jamal Charles, and he's been gone all year. So. You know maybe I shouldn't be too hard on myself but man it sucks to be going into the playoffs and just not having that guy but you know a lot of people are going to be in that in that same boat I mean yeah the number 1 Forté owners the number 1
4: team in my my uh in one of the leagues I'm in the guy all year had Adrian Peterson and Fred Jackson who both were playing great and now he's got to go into the playoffs without either of them so yeah inj- having a guy that's injured is no fun it, it like you said, you kind of regret it because your eggs are all in one basket, but uh, there's nothing you can do about
3: injuries. No, and, you know, when I look back, it's like I wasn't going to pick McCoy that high, you know, so I can't even regret that because McCoy hadn't established himself as a top three or four guy yet. So I wouldn't have done that. Jamal Charles was hurt anyway, you know. So I uh – uh Chris Johnson hasn't been good. Foster struggled early. Right. It's, it's an interesting question, and I save
4: all of my drafts. I don't know why. It's something I do. But uh, And all the most of the websites that anyone would sign up for have them all. But maybe that's an interesting question to come back to is, what was your best and worst draft pick this year? Yeah, I man. Maybe we can, we can do hit next that next week. week. Um, so I guess the converse to that would
3: be, what was the best thing you think you've done all year? Well, I think for me, I drafted in the late rounds and hung on to DeMarco Murray. Mm-hmm for long enough for it to pay off. I drafted him because I knew the talent he had and because I wasn't confident with Felix Jones staying healthy. I was patient. Luckily, the leagues I had him in, the benches were deep enough to take that kind of a risk. It paid off exactly as I had hoped. And Murray hasn't been great the last two weeks or so, but hopefully as the playoffs get go in here, I'm comfortable putting him in and hopefully he can help me win a league.
4: Yeah, I guess... In general, I think I usually take pride in my ability to fix a team. And like I was saying in the the one league I'm in, I was in dead last and I managed to make it into the playoffs and I'm actually one of the better I my team ended I believe 6 and 7, 6 and 7 or 5 and 8 or something like that, which sounds terrible. But uh no, they ended 6 and 7. Which isn't a good record, but considering where I started, I did a good job fixing that team and that team was the team I drafted, Jamal Charles, and he went down. So I had to make a trade, and I traded for Ben Tate as a part of the deal, but I also had to give up like Mike Wallace and Akeem Nix, and I got back Kenny Britt, so that killed me. So just to make the playoffs in a league like that, I'm kind of proud of that. And I'm generally good at – I picked up a guy like Victor Cruz in a few leagues, which has been huge. I mean, he's, he's maybe what Nix was a couple of years ago when he first kind of broke And I out.
3: picked up – newton in two leagues yeah I've and i've rolled with newton in I've, both leagues yep. but i corrected the sam bradford mistake in both of those leagues with newton yep you know and newton has been the starter for me in both of those leagues and i'm f- content with them so i gotta be active if you see people in your fantasy league that win it every year it's not necessarily
4: because i mean you can be great at drafting but you, to some extent you got to get lucky with the draft but people that can really work the waiver wire uh, have a big advantage over people
3: that Stamp hat to some degree. Two things for next week. Wrinkles, rule wrinkles in leagues, and best and worst fantasy pick. Let's remember that for next week. Okay. All right. Starts and sits. My starts this week were fantastic. I had Eli Manning, who had 347 yards passing and three touchdowns. Reggie Bush, 100 yards rushing and a touchdown. And Des Bryant, eight catches, 86 yards, and a touchdown. Um, I did also – Followed up
4: my great week the week before with a pretty good week this week. Uh, Steven Jackson was a was a great call, and we kind of talked off the air. It might just be a function of you almost can't start must start running backs against San Francisco. I believe the week before it was Ray Rice, yeah, or somebody that On Thanksgiving, Ray was Rice, pretty much shut out. Uh, my quarterback last week was Matt Ryan. Um, He had an okay week. He had 267 yards, a TD, and two picks. So if your league doesn't penalize picks too bad, then he was an okay start. But like I said last week, I like Tebow and Freeman better. Freeman didn't end up playing. Tebow ended up with a much better game. He had about 200 yards, two TDs, I think no picks, and maybe a rushing TD 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 and however many 50 or so yards rushing. And my wide receiver sit last week was Larry Fitzgerald, who went four for 55. So he didn't kill you,
3: but maybe nine in a PPR. Yeah. All right i get us started with starts today. My QB start is Andy Dalton. This is a guy who has really emerged this year, probably wasn't drafted in your league, probably should be owned now. Him and A.J. Green have had a strong connection. And they have a great matchup this week against Houston, who's 23rd against the pass. And Dalton has had double-digit fantasy points every week, but week one and three. And I think he's to the point where he's not really a rookie anymore. He's more of a second-year quarterback at this point. Right. You know how you always get that, People will say in college sports, by the time you get to bowls, they're not really freshmen, they're really <laughs> right. sophomores, you know. And I think uh, A.J. Green's kind of to that point where he's comfortable in the offense and he's really had some good weeks recently. Even in a bad game last week, he still scored points against the Steelers.
4: My QB sit this week, and I'll ask you real quick, did you uh, take my sit advice and start Tebow over Matt Ryan? I did. You did. Yeah, and it and it worked, worked out. out. Yep. I'm going to go against it this week. I'm going to say sit Tim Tebow. Uh, he's been a nice story. And like we've said about Cam Newton or Tebow, they're typically good for five or so points just rushing, and that's if they don't score. I don't like Tebow at all this week, though. He is home, but they're playing against Chicago. Chicago is going to have trouble scoring and moving the ball, so that's to Tebow's advantage because this game should be low scoring. Tebow will be able to limit his mistakes because he's not going to be forced to play from behind, I don't think. But that said, it's just it's a really good defense. I th- I think they can figure him out. What a
3: gross game last week at Soldier Field. Ten to three, they lost to the Chiefs on essentially a hail mary half halftime. halftime. Yeah, yep. that
4: was ugly, McCluster.
3: But yeah, so I don't love Tebow this week. I don't expect him to make many mistakes. I just don't expect him to get many yards. All right, my start at running back is a guy that's had a real up and down season this year, and that's Rashard Mendenhall for the Steelers. He scored two TDs last week and had about ninety yards rushing. His matchup is great this week. It's the Browns on Thursday Night Football. Browns are the 29th rushing defense, and if you saw Ray Rice go against them Yikes. this Sunday, Ray Rice torched them. So yep. I think Mendenhall is a guy who can really have a big week for you. Now I want to mention, I was looking at running backs with really good playoff matchups. I don't think anyone has better playoff matchups than Reggie Bush. So you have Reggie Bush in a league. You're going to be really happy with his matchups in the fantasy playoffs.
4: My running back sits this week. They're not the studs you would typically sit, but I think this is... I've always kind of prefaced what I was saying in the past by you might not be able to sit these guys. Like, if I suggested Ray Rice, there's no way you're sitting him. I mean, But these guys, I think, are legit sits. I'm going to go with both of the Carolina running backs, and that might seem like a no-brainer, but they have been better as of late. I've been starting Stewart and getting numbers from him. Right, so, so we had about 80 yards plus probably a bunch of receiving yards last week. D'Angelo Williams, two weeks ago, had around 80, 90 yards and two TDs. I don't like either of them this week against Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta's... Before last week was ranked like number two in the league in rushing, and against a better team and in a better offense, they held they held uh, Arian Foster in check. He still had a nice day if he was your your running back. He had like 110 yards, of TD, and like 40 or so yards receiving. So it's a nice day for Arian Foster, but I don't think either of these guys are Arian Foster. I don't expect this game to be that close for that long either. Carolina's defense is terrible. Atlanta should be able to put up some numbers, and I think it's going to be the Cam Newton show again in Carolina, so I don't expect much out of the running backs. All right,
3: my start at wide receiver is Percy Harvin. Uh, Harvin's building a connection with Christian Ponder. The Detroit secondary is banged up. You've seen players like, uh, geez, I can't think of his name, for the Saints, number 17, my boy. Meacham? Meacham, yeah, Robert Meacham. (laughs) Scored a long touchdown against uh, the banged-up Detroit secondary. And with Peterson out, Harvin's gotten a bunch of touches at running back. Running back, back, yeah. So just based on the touches he gets alone, I think he's a must start. He maybe wasn't earlier in the season. I saw someone mention that he was the – bane of their existence in fantasy this year <laughs> where every time they put him in he didn't score every time they had him out he did but i think he's a must start as we move towards the playoffs just because the connection he's building with ponder the plays that he could be- make after the pass and the touches that he gets as a r- in the running back position
4: my wide receiver this week sit this week is dwayne bow at the jets uh there's a lot of reasons for this but he's revis. gonna face revis they're in new york uh palco Tyler Palco, right? It's just not a great matchup. Maybe it's a little bit too obvious of a sit, but he's a guy you drafted probably in the 3rd, second or third round. But I again, he's a legit sit. Like he probably doesn't make it off my bench. If I had a guy like Laurent Robinson, I think he's starting over him and that's a guy you probably picked up 3 weeks ago. So
3: Dwayne Bow doesn't doesn't make my lineup this week. All right, last thing for today is just an update of listeners league. Don and I both lost last week which meant we didn't earn the buys that we maybe could have had we won. I lost to the Nova Scotia Nailers and Dialogues to what are you talking about, Hillis. We actually are going to play each other in one of the quarterfinal matchups this week. So if one of us is going to win this league, we're going to have to beat the other one and then win a couple more games to do it. Congratulations to Gordon Fishsticks and Pittsburgh Fielders for earning the bye weeks. And what you talking about, Hillis and we are Penn State are the other playoff teams. Got to thank everyone who played in the league this year. Um, let's see, Nova Scotia Nailers, unfortunately, didn't make the playoffs despite winning in the last week against myself and to the other uh, three franchises that didn't make the playoffs, which are, of course, I'm not going to be all Antivarius now. Jackson, Manning
4: Up, and Cardiac Cats. And one thing I will thank say you. about this is. This may be the closest league I've ever played in.
3: Yes, it was close all year.
4: The worst team in the league was 4-9, and nine, and they lost their last two games. So every team up until – I mean, they might have been technically alive in the past week had Nova Scotia Nailers lost and they won. Uh, they probably would have lost in a tiebreaker, but every team in this league was within a game or two.
3: I've had a lot playoffs. of fun doing it so far. I think we'll have a great playoff, and uh, I want to thank everyone who's participated.
4: Yeah. And just so you know, NFL. we do this through NFL.com uh, because of, I believe, Michael Fabiano, what yep. he was on. Their projections are always crazy high. That said, my team's projected for 190 points this week, so you better look out. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
3: Uh, all right, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with Jimmy Traina from Hot Clicks on Aside.com. Settle,
1: Settle down. We're about to let you in for the Bon Jovi video. Are there any questions? Yeah. Yeah, I got a question. Is this gonna be the same video slop that we always get from these glamor rock pretty boys? that get on camera and dance around with the same lighting angles, the same camera angles. Is this gonna be the same kind of video we always get from you guys? Yes, it is. Uh, is that good enough for you? Yeah! Yeah!
2: Do you think we can make a better video than these guys? No. Yeah! 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 Then why don't we take their cameras and make our own?
3: Our next guest is from Long Island, New York, and is a graduate of C.W. Post University. He has worked for the Associated Press, Scorephone, and WBAZAM, where he did afternoon drive time updates. In 2000, he joined SI.com, where he has covered Major League Baseball, golf, the NBA, NFL, and other sports. Today, he is a senior producer for SI.com and the creator, writer, and editor of the website's popular Hot Clicks feature. A warm s- sports casters, welcome to the very talented Jimmy Traina. How are you doing today, Jimmy?
1: Doing phenomenal after that intro. That is the best intro I've ever, ever had in my life. A little <laughs> Bon Jovi bad medicine. I mean, it doesn't get better than that, for me at least.
3: We like to pump our guests up with our intros. And, you know, usually it's their college fight song. But I got to be honest, I searched high and low, but I just can't find the CW post fight song.
1: I wouldn't even know it, and I am an enormous Bon Jovi fan, so that is a much better intro for me.
3: Perfect. So, we haven't had you on in a bit. Uh, I'm trying to think when we did it last. It was a while ago, so it's good to have you back. We appreciate you uh, being on. And um, I was thinking, as I was getting ready to have you on, I was thinking, like, you know, is is there a real easy way to describe to people who haven't, you know, really don't know much about hot clicks, is there an easy way... To describe, you know, what Jimmy does on a daily basis, and I'm gonna take a shot at it, and you tell me how close I got, okay? Sure. So my the way I would describe what you do is you spend the day in your office, on the internet, trying to find really cool shit that will make us laugh.
1: Basically, that's 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 the gist of it for the most part. The in the in the AM edition that we post in the morning, uh, I try to get posted, you know, around. 10:30 11:00 a.m. I do try to do a little more uh news we we feature more news items and things off like the news games from the night before and and whatever is in the headlines that morning. And then in the afternoon one is more of the funny stuff that's that's going on. I mean I I mean I try to make both both editions funny. Um but we do more of a look, a little more news maybe in the morning edition, but you pretty much um got the gist of it for sure
3: i was just looking at at the one i I think from this afternoon and you had a a pretty funny clip from funny funny or die where they were kind of mocking the new year's eve or yeah new year's eve movie that's coming out and it's like a lot of videos and pictures of hot chicks and things like that and that's kind of what you focus on in the afternoon
1: yes absolutely yeah absolutely yeah that video um that video came via uh, one of my Twitter followers, so it's always uh, it's always good to. Uh, Twitter has really become a a huge huge place for me to get good content, and, and that's a good example of it. I, I, chances are I might not have seen that video today if it wasn't for Twitter.
3: Yeah, it seems like you know Twitter Twitter obviously made what we do here a lot easier, just because of the connections we can make and the guests that we can get. And it seems like something that you do is perfect for Twitter. It it almost seems you know made for it. The way that you can yeah. inter, inter, interact with your fans and the way you can get material. So, would you feel lost without Twitter now?
1: Yes, absolutely, no doubt about it. It's a it's a huge, huge uh, tool for me for the column. And I also besides using it for the column, I you know I love it. I think it's a great deal of fun and. And for me, it's a combination of fun, and it's a great news source. So I would be very, very lost without it.
3: One thing I noticed that you use Twitter for a lot is you're the kind of guy who will just say, hey, I'm on the train for a while. Entertain me. You you know what I mean? You'll just kind of like throw it out. Yeah. I'm going to be on for a while. And, you know, did you find that, that since you've been doing that, that, you know, that's how you've built the connection with people on Twitter and, and you know, that your, your followers really appreciate, like, that kind of access? Um,
1: I mean, I, get, I think people... I mean, I know me personally. I, I like to follow people on Twitter who interact, and so I, I do try to do that. Obviously, um, you know, it's hard to do that during the day because, you know, I'm busy. So I, I, I try to respond to people you know, when I can, but obviously a lot of responses just don't get responded to, you know, during the day when I'm working and, and trying to write and put together hot clicks, so I do that periodically just as a way to really just respond to people. I mean, it, it there is truth, though. I mean, it does entertain me. When I say, you know, I'm bored, entertain me, people do that. People are really funny on there, and and um, they they will say the funniest stuff and ask interesting questions, and uh, they know what I'm into and what I like, so I always get Yankee questions and questions about Mike Francesa and questions about Howard Stern, and and I have a blast doing that. And it's just it is a good way for me to just respond to people when I normally can't do it, you know, all day long. Which you know I, I wish I could, but you know, unfortunately, I have to uh, do my job.
3: You know, Mike Francesa fascinates me too, and I was lucky a couple of weeks ago because, you know. I can listen on the internet, obviously, and on my cell phone, but mostly I'll watch him on Yes through DirecTV, and uh, I just happened to sit down one day and turn it on, and it was the day recently where he was interviewing Drell Rivas, and he ended up getting uh, yeah. it hung up on, and, and what was your what was your take? I mean, I it's been a while since I've seen him. Seen him that rattled. You know he's rattled when he just keeps repeating the same take over and over and over again. Yeah,
1: I mean, my take is is pretty simple. I mean, I thought Mike just went on with the badgering way, way, way too long. I don't think Revis. Revis wasn't the guy who was going to hang up. Right, it was like a PR PR guy guy got on the phone and told him to hang up. So I don't think Revis was as pissed as everyone made it out to be. Uh, But Mike just, you know, the questioning, I mean, who cares already about a dumb pass interference penalty that wasn't called. It was just going on way too long. And, uh, you know, made for great radio, made for a good story, and, you know, got some good mileage out of it.
3: Are you surprised how well Frances has done without Russo?
1: Um, that's a great question. I'm not surprised because he has no competition. Nobody in New York listens to ESPN radio. And there's really, unless you pay for Sirius, there's not really an alternative. Right. So, from a competition standpoint, I mean, he has the market to himself. Um, having said that, you know, he hasn't really done much with the show to, you know, change it up since Russo left. And I think that's hurt him. I think the show quality, obviously, has gone down tremendously. And I think that's even, you know,. Despite anything Mike does, I think that's just a product of a one-man show compared to a two-man show. I mean, as a as a listener, a one-man show is very very hard to listen to for five hours. He's on the air you know, a long time. If it was a one-man show, maybe three hours, you know, maybe not as bad. Uh, five hours though, one man, it's a lot. So, and he hasn't done anything really to spice that up. So I think that's been a problem. But I can't say I'm surprised just because WFN is so powerful. And it's such a institution in New York. It's a, it's a, a solid brand, if you will. And uh, from that standpoint, I'm not, not surprised.
3: Am I right? Is it Lupica that's going up against him right now?
1: Yeah, but I think Lupica is only on for an hour a day. So. Oh, okay.
3: Interesting. I'm surprised that ESPN Radio hasn't been able to find anyone that you know that can put a show together that can at least challenge him. Because, as you say, I mean, he's not exactly the most. Excitable guy You know what I mean Like it, he's, right. he's Unbelievably knowledgeable I think Especially when it comes To football But he, he's, right. he's You know what I think The show has lost the most Since has left Is just kind of Russo's entertainment value
1: Absolutely You know what Absolutely. I mean The show now is just You know At times it's like a funeral I mean it's so ultra serious There's no joking around There's no forcing around It's It's very straightforward And And uh, It's a big problem It's a big problem
3: yeah, and and you know, as far as Russo's show, I don't know that there's anything to say because I don't know if anyone's heard it.
1: I I have serious. I do listen to Russo. I try to listen to a little bit each day. I like his show a lot. Um, he's fun. He's fun. Yeah, yeah. The, that's 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 really it's a perfect description. The guy's fun. He he puts a lot of energy and effort into his show, and it's 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 good. It's you know, that serious isn't always the most convenient way to listen to something. So it's. One of those things as well.
3: Almost nothing cracks me up more than when Russo is on Stern. You know, like when Stern plays, like, you know, I'm going to help you out, try to get some listeners, and and he comes in, and before you know it, you know, Stern's bored with sports and is trying to get Mad Dog to admit to, like, masturbating or something.
1: Right. Yeah, that's always a good time, and that's really not – Russo is not comfortable on any level discussing that stuff, so that makes for good radio because it's he's so uncomfortable.
3: <laughs> what do you think of Stern since he's resigned and it's kind of went to the lighter schedule? How do you think the show has been, and where do you think they stand? You know, now it seems like the show all like has these different phases. You know, like the Jackie era. The um, yeah, our show era.
1: Is definitely in a in a different phase right now. Um, without already there and that element. my, My take on Howard is no matter what he does, no matter what happens with the show, that show and Howard Stern will always be more entertaining than anything else that's on the radio. So for me, I don't analyze it as much as other people. I look at it like, you know, I put him on at 6:30 in the morning every day, and I listen to it till the show ends, and I'm entertained. Now, having said that, you know, do I wish there were more bits? Do I wish there were more outside the studio remotes? Absolutely. Um, but I don't. But I get it. I mean, the guy is, you know, he's a little older now. He's been doing this forever. Um, I mean, I'm not comparing myself to how he's done on any level whatsoever. But I get up at I get up at 6:00 a.m. every day to get to the office by 8 to write hot clicks, and it it kills me. It destroys me. How he's gotten up at 4 a.m. Right. for the last 30 years and he gets up at 4 a.m. for the last 30 years and his job is to talk for five hours and entertain people. So if he wants to, you know, take it easy, for, for lack of a better term, right now at this, this stage, I, I have no problems with that because he's still entertaining and the show is still amusing to me. and makes me laugh.
3: And I think, Regularly. like you said, I think more than anyone, he's kind of earned it. I mean, from us as yeah. fans, you know what I mean. He's earned yeah. our our acceptance of you know what he what he wants to do. And you know, one thing that's always somewhat irritated me about him, but I think I understand it more and more, is when he will get on complaints about like he'll get on Baba Booey because he asked someone to shake his hand after the show. And you know, Howard's always so adamant that after the show he needs to go to his office, he needs to unwind and relax. And I, I always used to kind of in my mind, I guess, criticize him about that, but the more and more that I do what I've been doing, I kind of understand. You know what I mean? That, like, it's got to be so mentally exhausting. Right. You know, uh,
1: I mean, I've always said my favorite thing about the show, I mean, he's a brilliant interviewer. There's probably not a better interviewer around than Howard Stern, but, you know, a lot of, sometimes, you know, still depends on who he's interviewing, your interest level, and, and whether you're into it or not, but I've always said my favorite part of the show always is when he's riffing with, Robin and Fred and Gary and either torturing Gary or making fun of Fred and or just talking about current events with those guys. I mean that's that's really what I love the most about the show. And there's a lot of that now with already Gone and and the lack of, you know, bits and scripted stuff. So um for me it's you know, I can l I, I to me listen I can listen to how it's certainly talking about like the Penn State case or current events and you uh, anything like that, um and I'm and I'm, and I'm entertained by it.
3: When he's gone, are you out on Sirius, or because of Stern being there, have you, like, used this Sirius to, you know, find enough alternative entertainment value that when he is gone you could see he's still paying for it?
1: That's a good question. Um, not to give you a bad answer, but I, I honestly don't know until that happens. Eighteen dollars a month is a lot to pay for the radio. So if he and he goes, that's going to be. I I love the fact though that there's no commercials on their music stations. I can't listen to regular radio now. Right. Um, you know, sometimes I'll have to charge my phone in the car, which means I can't listen to Sirius, and I have to listen to regular radio, and it's it's brutal. It's completely unlistenable and Sirius. is no commercial so the music stations on Sirius are great for that and they have other stuff i mean i had to drive around for a quick half hour on sunday they have all the nfl games um you know howard's channels have other entertaining i, I you know I've, like, I've become a little a fan of scott Farrell a little bit who's on one of his channels right uh russo's on there so i don't know um you know maybe when he goes they lower the price and then that keeps me around let we'll to see what happens you know if they keep raising the price and it's you know $25 a month and he's gone obviously i probably uh wouldn't keep it
3: sportscasters are here with Jimmy Trainer uh you can follow him at Jimmy t r a i n a on twitter and of course you can find hot clicks on si.com Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about your podcast, which the last time we talked to you was kind of in its infancy. You're kind of just getting it started, and uh, you were kind of saying, you know, booking guests is maybe your least favorite thing to do on a weekly basis. How has your relationship with the podcast evolved since we talked last, and uh, are you having more fun with it, less fun with it, and where do you see it kind of growing and evolving in the future?
1: Uh, I think I'm pretty much at the same place. I, I enjoy doing it when I do it and I enjoy speaking to to the guests I get, but booking it is just there are no words to describe what a pain it is. And um once it's booked it's fine and you know, I, I sort of too uh, you know, I don't really have a great way of, of of knowing the amount of people listening to it, but you know, I usually do these giveaways and hot clicks where I ask questions off the podcast and i'm amazed at how many people send in correct answers so people are listening which which is good um so it's just it's it's you know i wish it could be better i wish it, i could be doing it more often and booking good guests and and stuff like that but you know it, it's still secondary to hot click so it's not always gonna you know be able to, to probably be what i want it to be you
3: know i booked i book uh i book my guests for the podcast as you know and it's hard work i mean i i try to book three guests a week and i think the hardest thing is when you when you get to the point where you're in discussions with someone is like knowing how hard to push it you know like like it's two emails too much it's it's three emails too much it's like trying to gauge the tone of of someone else on email and on Twitter is almost impossible. Is like that kind of what frustrates you about booking, or what is it about the booking that? Well, because
1: I mean, I don't. You know, I'm trying to book athletes, and I can't. You know, I can't just directly email them. I either right. have to stalk them on Twitter or go through the team PR department. And the team PR department really could not possibly care less about helping me out. So it's really, you know, sometimes people come to me. Um, you know, a PR person will come to me and, and I get a guest that way, which is good. But, you know, I want, you know, someone who's in the news sometimes and, and it's just not, you know, there's just not a way for me to, to book it, you know, in a good timely fashion.
3: Well, I gotta say, for someone who doesn't like it, you sure do book your ass off. I mean, Adrian <laughs> Peterson, man. I mean, that's just such an awesome get.
1: Which one was that?
3: Adrian Peterson.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was, again, that was a PR company. Who, they, he was pitching a video game at the time, so they came to me and obviously... Um, you don't pass pass Adrian Peterson up. So that was, you know, that was, that was one where it worked out. well. It was funny that week. I think with Adrian Peterson, I think I had, you know, three PR pitches of, of of guests, and um, you know, now I haven't done a podcast in two weeks because I haven't had a guest. So it, it's that, that's the frustrating thing about it too.
3: Yeah, um, yeah, it's like one week you got a million guys, and then the right. next week you got no one. Right? Uh, yeah. Do you? it seems like you do do athletes mostly. Have you thought about colleagues? I mean, I know my, my podcast probably wouldn't exist without all of the, without the great bench that SI has. I mean, you know, we have great relationships with Lee Jenkins and John Wertheim and there's all these great people to talk to from Sports Illustrated, but it doesn't seem like you've went that route at all. Have you thought about, you know, booking some colleagues? I mean, it would probably take a little bit of the pressure off.
1: I mean, I haven't thought about booking colleagues. Um, I don't know. I mean, to me, I think what I like to do is interview athletes to try to get to know them a little bit better than we do and and to show their personalities. Writers, you know, I think writers are good if if, um, you want to talk about a a story that's in the news, um, get some information. uh, My podcast isn't exactly on that level, so it's a little bit different. I had the big lead on recently. He's not a colleague, but he's not... An athlete, and Jason, um, that was that a Jason. really well-received podcast, and um, that made me think to do more things like that. So, it's definitely something, you know, to keep in mind, there's no doubt about it.
3: Yeah, it, so that, that, was, that was Jason McIntyre, was that who that yes. was? Yeah. Yes. yeah. We had A.J. Delirio from Deadspin, and people really seemed to like that. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of feedback I get about booking guests is we've had Deuce McAllister, Dave Justice, Andre Reed, and a couple other athletes, and it seems like, at least our the fan base that we've built they don't love the athletes as much as because you get so much stock from the athletes
1: well that's 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 one of the other frustrating things about it to me is i i have tried to get athletes who don't do that so then you have to try to get people to listen to a guy who may not be this myth. like okay you see the name adrian peterson everybody knows who that is everyone you know no you know there's a chance. There's a good chance people are going to be interested. Now, I had now for me personally, Adrian, Peterf- Adrian Peterson was fine. He's a good guest. I know no issues bet, but it was a straight football interview. wasn't really fun and loose, but that's fine. It was cool. He gave me good information. But for instance, for an example, uh, there's a picture on the Oakland A's, Brandon McCarthy, who I follow on Twitter, and we have become sort of Twitter friends because the guy is hysterically funny on Twitter. I had him and his wife together on my podcast. And they were phenomenal. And to me like that was one of the best podcasts I've ever done. But I know that's not going to get a ton of listen because people just aren't interested in Brandon McCarthy. But that podcast is the content is so much more enjoyable for at least from my perspective. So that's the other issue is, you know, I'd rather have the guy who may not be a superstar Hall of Fame guy who's gonna be funny and entertaining and say anything and not worry about every answer he gives than the superstar or the, you know, top athlete who is going to, you know, measure every word he says.
3: You know, I used to love to listen to podcasts. I used to listen to all different kinds. But ever since we've been doing our own, I kind of shy away from it because a lot of times we have guests who are on different podcasts and I try to just ignore them because I don't want to get caught, like, doing the same interview. You know, like, for right. example, Puck Daddy, Greg Wasinski is on our podcast often. And he was on the... The BS report recently, and I'd love to listen to that, but I'm afraid that if I listen to to someone as popular as Bill Simmons Im- interview with Shinsky, that I'll get caught next time with Shinsky's on, like, redoing that interview or something.
0: Like, yes, I
1: totally agree. Yeah, I is, totally agree. Is
3: that something, so have you shied away from, you know, trying yeah, to... I was I I never a huge
1: podcast listener. I mean, it, I basically listened depending on who was a guest or what the topic was, but now, I mean, it, it's more of a time thing more than anything else. Um, you know, I've listened to a couple that Rich Eisen does, which, you know, I enjoy. Um, I, li- I listened to, what did I listen to recently? I don't even remember, but the it's, just, it's, a, it's a more of a time thing than anything. I don't, you know, they're usually long and I don't have time. And But yeah, they're, they're, I did that more, to be, if I'm being perfectly honest, I did that more when I started writing hot clicks. I wanted to avoid, um, Certain things, just because I didn't want to start writing the way, you know, right the way, But inevitably, I have to check other sites for for links, so it's it's a little dicey. But I totally get what you're saying. Uh,
3: what's on your Christmas list or holiday season list?
1: What is on my Christmas list? Um, I don't really have anything on my Christmas list. I haven't even thought about it, to be honest with you. But I guess I should start thinking about it. It's a good question um what is on my christmas list?
3: is there a sports book that you're dying to read or
1: uh, uh, I'm, the, I'm bad because i'm the type of person who when i want something i just usually buy it yeah so i hear that there's not much on my list um yeah I, I wish i had a good answer for you but i don't time off is on my christmas list time I'd like, off full week off would be nice i haven't had one of those in a long time so do you read That's what i'm looking forward to more than anything
3: do you read it all
1: yeah, I'd, again, it's another one of those things where, it's, you know, it's like my whole day is just looking for stuff for hot clicks, so that's another one where time is. I just downloaded, in fact, here's a little podcast thing for you, um, I'm going to be having on, in the next couple of weeks, Artie Lang and uh, oh, Nick man. Apollo, who now started <laughs> their show for Fox Sports, so I downloaded Artie's uh, Too, Fat to Fish? Too Fat to Fish on my iPad, and, I, and I'm going to tackle that next.
3: Yeah, you know, that's one thing that's changed the most for me since I started the podcast is reading because so many of our guests seem to be people who are looking to promote whatever book that they've written. You know, for example, we've had Jonah Carey who was promoting The the Extra 2%, so I read that. You know, James Andrew Miller, so I was... Yeah,
2: that
3: was the only book I
1: think I read was the ESPN book.
3: Oh, my God, that was... Did you just, like, start sweating the second you seen it and realized it was going to take you, like, three weeks to read it? It's, like, a thousand pages. I should have...
1: I mean, I read it sort of at first. I was just skimming through to check names and stuff like that. And, and then, it, I mean, it was so big, but I was able to find the good stuff. I actually just got the paperback today, as a matter of fact, in the, uh, in the mail. So I'll have to check that out when yeah, I get a chance.
3: St- for some reason, they sent two of, two of them to us. Oh, so. no. yeah, good uh, to you. Yeah, well, <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, what, oh, I was just going to say, oh, one book I, I recommend, and I think you should read it. It's fantastic. It's Sweetness by uh, Jeff Perlman.
1: Oh, the Walter Payton book. Yeah, yeah I oh, about that. It's, it was, it's great. I also want—I want to read the uh, Howard Cosell book that recently came out as well. That oh yeah, fun. I
3: heard about that one too. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's that's one thing. I guess I wish I had more time for it, just to read. But. Yep. Um, I did. I did read Rob McLean's book, which I think is only out in Canada. He's the guy who hosts uh, Coach's Corner with Don Cherry on Hockey Night in Canada.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and that was
3: pretty. That was pretty cool. Uh, to sport- have some stories. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The sportscasters are here for a couple more minutes with Jimmy Traina again. He's uh, from SI.com. You can find uh, him on Twitter at Jimmy Traina. I wanted to ask you about the sports. Min of the Year issue of the magazine that comes out today. Basically, um, I usually download uh, the Sports Illustrated onto my iPad right around midnight every week on <laughs> Tuesdays. Uh, Summit and Coach K, huh? Is that who you would have picked?
1: Um, is that who I would have picked? No. Um, I, I personally, I mean, I'd like to see athletes win it. Um, just my own personal sort of thing. Unless you know, I, if I was going to give it to any sort of Coach or manager, it probably would have been Tony La Russa. I love the fact that he retired after after winning. I wish more people would do that in sports. But uh, you know, I think the magazine might have. They, I don't know this. This is just my own opinion. I don't want people to think like is what I know. My guess is that they got caught in a little bit of a pickle because I think if I think the person who deserved it the most is probably Aaron Rodgers.
3: Right, but they just did Breeze.
1: But Drew Breeze won it last year and, you know, two years in a row, quarterback NFC, it's you know, I get I get why they wouldn't want to go that way. And like I said, I don't know if that was their their um thinking, but right. it makes sense. So I would have given it to Aaron Rodgers myself.
3: Is there something about the magazine that you like the most? Is there something you look forward to? Is there a writer? I don't know if I'm putting you in a bad spot here. I mean, think Tom Verducci
1: writes is always good. Yeah, Uh, you're a
3: big Verducci guy?
1: Yeah, I think he's the best for baseball by far.
3: Did you read the Yankee years?
1: I did. I did. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, it was sad for me the way... (laughs) Things ended with Tori, but yeah, I mean, it was a, a must-read for any Yankee fan.
3: Did you read uh, The Captain?
1: The ca- I have not read The Captain, believe it or not. Everyone, no one understands why I haven't read it, but I feel like I know everything about Jeter. But I have the book, I'm actually staring at it right now, but I've not read it yet. But I will read it. I think I brought it with me somewhere, and I just, I never read it. When
3: you know, I went away one time. I read it, and I'll just say this about it. It feels like two books. There's the the part of the book that... Is everything until A Rod joins the team, and I uh-huh. really enjoy that part of it. But then it seems like when A Rod joins the team, the book kind of gets caught in this. Every word has to be about, you know, their relationship and how right. either one, what either one thought about whatever he is talking about. So that like that kind of bothered me about it towards the end. But I will say one thing uh, since you mentioned it, and I haven't mentioned it yet on this show, but we've finally booked Tom Ver- Verducci. And oh I great! Yeah, great. everyone said it He's couldn't. The best. Everyone said it couldn't be done, but we'll <laughs> actually be on next week. Nice. Uh, last thing, and we'll get you out of here. um... Where do you see Hot Clicks going from here? Um, you know, That's a good what,
1: question. I've been I've been thinking about that a lot lately, especially with the turn of the year and and in April, it's it'll be five years of Hot Clicks. So I I I think we need to change some stuff up. I don't know what that will be, or I mean, I'd love to get another person involved. Um, Sort of like an apprentice type who could maybe do it for me once a week or something like that and help me out with things. <clears throat> um, so we'll see. There definitely needs to be some changes. Um, the look of it, um, incorporating Twitter more. I, I, like I said, I got to take the next. It's one of my big projects. Is the, the next three weeks. Of, you know, before we get into the new Year's to sit down and figure out. You know where I want to go with this and and what changes to make.
3: Yeah, you know we just we just kind of are going through this right now at the podcast and that we're just about at a year and we've been doing a segment really since the start of football season called five on fantasy where we do a lot of talking about fantasy football. Well, that's getting ready to end. So it's like, well, now how are we going to replace that? And we've been kind of trying out some different things. And I wonder if when you make changes to hot clicks, do you try to like get like 10 different ideas and like try each of them over 10 days and see what, Works the best, or um, do you just kind of. I like, usually
1: just. I, I, I The one thing I have learned throughout the years is you don't want to make drastic changes. Mm-hmm. So anything like, will. You know, I wouldn't do ten different changes at once. Maybe implement one or two and see how that goes, and and go from there.
3: Gotcha. The sportscasters. Couldn't thank you enough. Uh, it's Jimmy Traina, again, at Jimmy Traina on Twitter. Anything else you want to promote or make our listeners aware of that we didn't cover? Because I'd hate to miss something.
1: No, I mean you got the podcast, you got hot clicks, you got the Twitter. It's all good. Uh, just you know, that's that's everything I need. Just uh, thank you for uh, having me and enjoy your holiday season. Appreciate yeah. uh, the Sa-
3: time. Same to you. I hope you enjoyed it.
1: Thank you. I did.
3: Thanks, I bud. Got to thank Jimmy Traina for being on the show today. Also, our other guests, Freddie Coleman and Luke Wynn. Next week is episode number 55, and it's shaping up to potentially be the biggest podcast we've ever done. The only thing I can announce right now that's 100% confirmed is that Richard Deitch is going to join us on the podcast, and I will tell you that if everything goes as planned- Our PR guy, Richard Deitch. Yep. If everything (laughs) goes as planned, Richard Deitch would be the worst guest of the three. Oh, don't tell that. He's a nice guy. Yeah, but he would admit it. And the other two would be making their first appearance on the show, and they're both huge. So hopefully everything works out as I think, and if it does, next week's going to be an awesome show. A couple of reminders, uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash the sportscasters. Twitter, we're at sports underscore casters. Email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. Our blog is the sportscasters.blogspot.com. Don't forget about my blog on Sundays at proplayerinsiders.com. And you can find all this on our website, www.sports casters.com. All right, pick four is our last piece of business for today. Last week I went three and one. I'm six and two in the last two weeks. Putting it together a little bit, I'm ninety four and ninety four in season one of the show. I won the Steelers over the Bengals, minus seven. Saints, minus nine over the Lions. And Seattle, my bold prediction, minus three over Philly. The only game I lost was plus three and a half over Oklahoma. And, you know, if I really would have thought about it and been honest about it, I wouldn't have made the pick. I guess I made the pick based on 100 years of tradition, but that was Oklahoma (laughs) State's game to win at home with a chance to go to the national championship game against a really beat up and injured Oklahoma team. They had to win that game, and they did. So good for them. Uh, Don went 2-2. Two and two. He had the Steelers over the Bengals and the Texans plus 3 over the Falcons. Texans won that outright. Uh, he had the Saints minus 25 in his bold prediction. They didn't quite win by that much. It was 31-17. And he had the Jaguars plus 3 over San Diego. San Diego won that game 38-14. to
4: Yeah, you talk about how every week it seems like we have one pick that we're just like – we know is going to be right. I mean, I think I've gone 0-4, so one week that wouldn't have been right. But last week it was that Houston-Arizona game. For them getting points, I thought that
3: was nuts. All right, start us off with the game of the week. All right,
4: the game of the week this week, which was flexed into the night game, uh, is the Sunday night game, the Giants at the Cowboys in the Jerry World Dome. Uh, I'm going to take the Cowboys. The Cowboys are an anomaly this year in that I believe they are something like six and five but they've been five and one at home which is ridiculous uh i'm gonna take the cowboys minus the four points the giants are another strange team that'll go out and beat anybody or play with one of the best teams ever that seems like in the packers but then lay eggs against teams like seattle i think the cowboys like i said they're at home they need this game i mean they both need this game but i i expect the cowboys i think this they might run away with this game. I
3: was talking to someone on Twitter on Sunday night about how overrated the NFC East is just because of the four markets that are in that division. If you think about it, they have Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Dallas, and New York in that one division. And those teams always get such hype and such coverage because of the markets that they're in. But it seems like this division never lives up to the hype. The Redskins have been bad for a long time. Cowboys are up and down. They haven't been a real Super Bowl contender since the early 90s. Uh, The Giants did win a Super Bowl a few years ago, but that was like everything coming together at the last minute. And the Eagles, who have really been the class of the division for a long time, took a huge step back this year. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to take the Cowboys minus four. It's a home game for them. It's a really important game. Everything went wrong for them last week on the road in Arizona. They're going to have to bounce back. The microscope is on Jason Garrett, who froze his own kicker last week. (laughs) And uh, you can't make mistakes like that when Jerry Jones is the owner. You'll be out of a job quick. So I think that they'll bounce back. Plus I think they maybe have a little bit more talent than the Giants.
4: Yeah, I think so. Um, which is strange too because going back to what you were saying about the division being overrated, I was probably one of the people that were on the, yeah, maybe the Giants are really good bandwagon and, and they're just a confusing team. They haven't done it consistently and they got embarrassed by the Saints. So my host choice this week Raiders at the Packers. Packers are a 12-point favorite here. It's a 4:15 game on CBS. I'm going to take the Packers. This line to me seems, for a 12-point game, seems actually pretty favorable. Uh, the Raiders just got embarrassed by Miami. So if the argument here is that they have a lot of pride at stake, I, I don't buy it. And they have to go into Green Bay who can score on anybody. And if Miami gave your defense trouble, you better look out for the Packers.
3: Yep. Uh, my host choice for this week, I have the Saints minus four against the Titans Sunday, December 11th at 1 o'clock on Fox. I'm going to ride the Saints. I have won with them two straight weeks in a row. And I think four points is a little low against the Titans. I think the Saints are a much better team than the Titans. I know the game's on the road, and the Saints have been a much better home team than a road team, 6-0 and at home. But uh, I just think the Saints got it going. I'm going to ride them a little bit, and it's nice to only have to lay four.
4: The Saints are home? No. Oh, okay, I was going to say... That's a very low... I, I must have looked right over that. That's a very low uh, point spread. My worldwide leader pick this week, I'm going to go with the Thursday night game. I know some of you out there may not have the NFL network, but it's technically a national game. Browns at the Steelers. The Steelers are a 14-point favorite. I'm going to again take the favorite. I know the Steelers at times this year have had trouble scoring on people. I, I just don't see it this week, and I don't think the Browns are going to put up any points, so... I'll take the I'll take the fourteen and the Steelers again. It's another one of them teams that they're nine and three. First of all, so they've been great all year, but uh, maybe they don't feel like the Steelers of the past. But they're still five and one at home, and I don't think the Browns are going to give them any trouble.
3: Another line that I didn't understand at all, and I double checked today on ESPN.com, it's still the same: is the Rams versus the Seahawks on Monday night is a pick. Wow, uh, it's in Seattle. Seattle's clearly the better of these two teams. Is it possible
4: they haven't set that line because it's a Monday night line?
3: I don't know. I mean, it's set said, it said even. I'll honor whatever line it ends up being on Sunday because my guess is eventually Seahawks are going to be at least a three-point favorite. Yeah, I think so. I, it doesn't matter to me. I think they win by two touchdowns. Yeah. So I'm going to take the Seahawks over the Rams. Like I said, right now the information on ESPN.com says a pick. If it changes, that's fine. I'll honor whatever they decide.
4: My bold prediction this week, maybe not as crazy bold as some of my other ones, but i got to get a win here one of these times. I'm going to take uh, the Vikings are at Detroit, it was our seven-point favorite. I'm going to take the Vikings to win outright. They're right now they're, like I said, a seven-point underdog. This is Fox, 1 o'clock game. I, I like uh, Christian Ponder, what I've seen of him so far. He looks all right. Uh, obviously not having Adrian Peterson again most likely isn't a good thing for them, but... Detroit's also missing Sue. Again, Percy Harvin had that great week last week. I think Gerhardt can do enough. Um, I realistically think the
3: Vikings can win this game. Okay, I am going to – you know what? That game, the line is off in St. Louis and Seattle probably because they don't know if Bradford's going to play yet. Oh. So that's why the line is fishy. Interesting. It's because it's off. Pretty much everywhere. Hmm. so. But like I said, I'll honor whatever they say up to 14. Um, my bold prediction this week, I'm going to stick with the idea of picking an underdog that I think could win and kind of flipping the spread. The Falcons are three-point favorites over the Panthers. I like what the Panthers have been doing. I love the way Cam Newton's been playing. I think they're the healthier of the two teams. Falcons just don't seem legit to me at all. No. Uh, I'm going to take the Panthers minus three over the Falcons. Uh, Again, that game's Sunday at 1 o'clock on Fox.
4: Real quick, we don't generally get into discussions at this point of the podcast, but with the injuries to Matt Forte, with the injuries to Cutler, with the injuries, or with Sue being suspended, uh, do you think there's any way that the Seahawks somehow make the playoffs again this year? What's their record? They're 5-7 and seven right now. So, I mean, at best, they're a 9-7 they got to be 9-7 to consider it. But the teams they'd have to leapfrog are the Bears, which I can see because their offense looked terrible, terrible against a team that isn't great. Uh, they'd have to leapfrog. Then one of Detroit, the Giants, or the Falcons. That's it. I mean, Philly's not catching them. The Redskins aren't catching right. them. It's not
3: a great conference. The I mean, tricky, it's really top-heavy conference. The tricky game for them is going to be on Christmas Eve against San Francisco, who might still need that game to clinch the bye. Right, that's going to be the hardest game left for them. That, that might do it. In yeah. you know, they also have to travel to Chicago at one o'clock, which Chicago is vulnerable right now. But it's always difficult for the West Coast teams to win in to Chicago. win yeah. at one o'clock. Um, but they do have St. Louis and Arizona. There's no reason that they shouldn't be able to win those two games. I think it's it's possible. It's probably I'd say about a fifteen percent chance right now. It's, yeah, it might even be worse than it's that. It's still but... a long shot. But like you said, I think they've won three of their last four games. I don't. I don't hate that team for as they're gonna regret losing six to three to Cleveland. <laughs>
4: yeah,
3: you know that's gonna be kind of that game that they look back on. They also lost to Washington. Really. Uh that's the they beat the Giants. Yeah, they've they've had some good wins. They beat Baltimore. Yeah, that's such a strange team. You know? Um so they had a couple of signature wins. That's what I that's what I mean about that conference. So that is such you've
4: got the Packers, the Saints, and the Forty ers and they all seem legit I mean they're all locks to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And then the Saints can actually <laughs> clinch the division this
3: week with a win and a then who loss. do you have?
4: Atlanta, even like Dallas is Dallas gonna win that division? Yeah. I mean, it's I guess
3: you know really, and I, I shouldn't discount San Francisco like this, but it really feels like a New Orleans versus Green Bay, where like we're destined to get that that championship game. It's kind of like when the Saints went to the Super Bowl; it felt all year like they were gonna play Minnesota in that championship okay, game, yeah. you know, and that ended up happening. It feels that way again. Sure, San Francisco could upset the Saints and get there first, uh, especially if. get to play that game at home. I don't know how great San Francisco's home field advantage is. I don't know how great. But they're not going to win in the Dome, so they better keep it. Right. San Francisco
4: was kind of exposed a little bit too, I think, by Baltimore. I I think strength on strength, like a team's going to have to have a bad defense in the playoffs, I think. I mean, maybe San Francisco might match up well with somebody like Green Bay. You know what I
3: mean? Like not that anybody does, but maybe just real quick before we signed off, I asked Freddie Coleman for his Super Bowl pick. He said in the preseason he picked the Saints versus the Patriots. Today he changed it to Packers versus Patriots. My Super Bowl pick in the preseason was Saints versus Patriots. I'll keep that. Yours was Falcons versus Patriots, I believe. Yeah, I think I was on the spot. <laughs> so <laughs> I the, thought I, I thought I picked the Ravens, maybe not. Where would you go right now? I'll stick with mine. I'll I'll stick with Saints versus There's
4: no way I would stick with mine. I would it's maybe like an easy thing to do, but I'd probably go uh, Packers-Patriots? I'll go Ravens-Patriots. Ravens-Patriots. Ravens-Packers, you mean? Uh, Ravens-Packers, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I Are, think I think what's going to stop the Saints would be that they're going to have to play have to that go game there. on the road. Oh, absolutely. Yeah,
3: yeah. there's no denying that, that that's a really hard game to win. Right. Where,
4: but I think even given how great Green Bay has been, if you flip that and they have to play in New Orleans, that might be a tough spot for them to
3: win. Kind of a to prove your point about how top-heavy it is, the point differential, Green Bay is plus 158. Saints are plus 124. And San Francisco is plus one, 127. The next highest is Chicago's, plus 49. <laughs> yeah, and if you power rank the teams, like I
4: think it's Packers, Saints, and then it's probably, for me, I would probably go with four teams from the AFC before I hit another the NFC. Four, an, the four, nine, and threes? Yeah.
3: New England, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Houston? Even Houston with... They're They're third-string quarterback. Yeah.
4: I, I just think they're. I think they're a good enough team to to do it. They got a nice defense and a great running back, and it's a, it's a, it's a good team. And Yates hasn't looked terrible. All right, yeah, so we have off. topic there. Hip. Yep. We'll be back next week.
2: All right.